Uh, greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. Uh, this is Jay, as always, the curator of The Stacks. And I'm Shanna, the uh, co-host. Heck yeah. Uh, and this week, we're, we've got three films to talk about. Uh, we're starting with the first one, uh, Hideo Nakata's 1998 film, The Ring, uh, the first film in uh, the huge Ring franchise, uh, much bigger in Japan than it is here. Uh, like there, there are dozens of Sadako films now. Oh, like, really? She, she's been spun off. There are multiple different individual franchises. There are two different sequels to this movie that go in different directions. Uh, one of them was released simultaneously with this movie. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, which I have not seen. Uh, apparently mm. it's much more similar to the original book, which I have, but have not read yet. Oh, so it was based on a book? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's Rings. Uh, I, can, I can see Rings from where I'm sitting right now, but I can't read the author's name from here. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it came out in the mid-90s, I believe, and was fairly successful. Like It's a big cult property, uh, and th this was like a sort of a lavish... Uh, like a big deal sort of movie. And that's why they did two different adaptations that were released on the same date. And one of them's, a, it's, it's really weird because the second one is a sequel to the novel rather than a sequel to the movie. Oh, okay. That always gets weird. Yeah. So, and it, it goes in a very different direction is what I understand. And the, the book is quite different from the movie. Okay. Uh, more based in, uh, like folklore and magic, I guess. Uh, whereas ah. this is a little bit more technology based in in some interesting ways. So I guess uh, uh, do you do you want to start in terms of uh, uh, plot synopsis? Uh, um, sure, then, sure. You know? Okay. So um, we begin with these two uh, presumably high school girls. Um, they're just party. Yeah, it's a slumber party. They're they're just chatting, and one of them tells this ghost story about how there's this haunted videotape, and if you watch it, somebody phones you and says, well, according to the story, it says they're going to die in seven days, but it, I don't think that happens in this movie ever. Um, but somebody does phone them the, uh, the whenever phone, somebody watches the movie. I, I think the it, it's they just say seven days. Like just the, the words, seven days and nothing else. Maybe. I think it's, it's just whispered. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of time they don't ever answer the phone, so it's hard to say. Right. I, I guess answering the phone doesn't enact the curse. It's just answering it just the phone you is, know you is got it. when the phone rings, you know you've got the curse. Yeah. Yeah, you're already screwed. Right. But yeah, so they they're like, oh yeah, yep. She's like, oh, and then it's and then in seven days you die, and then the other girl's like, who told you about that? Did so and so tell you about that? No. Oh, because. That actually just happened to us. We were yeah, a bunch we, of us we were, were in a holiday. We, we we just took a trip up to Izu and we watched this weird spooky tape that was at the inn and uh I don't know, things have been weird. <laughs> yep, and then they got a phone call right after that. And then the first girl's like, No, you're lying, and then they do their slumber fight pillow thing, and then um 
So then the, the phone the, rings. The phone rings and she becomes completely terrified, even though she had been saying that it was all a joke. She's like, no, no, I, it, this is all just a joke. There, there is no such thing. Uh, but then, like, she goes completely uh, into shock when, when the phone starts ringing that night. Yeah, yeah. Because she, cause she had watched the movie, which we she had later indeed. find out. We, we do certainly uh, find out that she did. And so they answer it, and it's just her parents who are at a who are late coming back from a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the TV comes on on its own in the background, uh, and it, it's it, I I really like it's it's very simple the photo effect that they do when I, I think it only happens twice in this movie because it has a pretty low body count for uh, it does it really major does. horror film uh, where it gets this black and white photo effect like a a photo like exposure a, effect like a negative yeah mm-hmm. yeah something like that yes and they, they uh, do it well i i think it's especially interesting because just the media aspect that this is uh you know she's imprinted her psychic energy into this tape which is a, a film medium as is you know a photographic medium and we're watching the film medium and so it's a still image in a film that's uh, you know, a, a developing picture uh, within yeah. the the medium of the film. It's interesting, uh, and and this is part of a series of movies that's. And, and I guess this is sort of what set off the wave of them. These movies about uh, the horror of dead technology. Because mm-hmm. there's also like Pulse, uh, which is more like early, which is like a dial-up internet horror. There's. Oh man, I can't remember. I I know I've seen a bunch of these. There's obviously eight millimeter, the the Nicolas Cage, uh, snuff film picture, but there there's like a whole wave of dead media horror films around this period. Mm. Um. Oh shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. Dread. Uh, so we're we're at the point where uh, we see the girls, uh, or we we don't actually see what happens to her. Uh, no, she it cuts to black after the uh, the negative shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we cut instead to this reporter, Miss Azaka, or Ms. Azakawa, who is tracking down. I guess urban legends. Yeah, seems I... to be what what her like. She's a reporter. She's a reporter. I thought at first that she was just got handed the shittiest job to uh that might be the case honestly yeah but she's from the beginning just like super on board with this legend it -hmm. turns out it turns out though we learn that it was her the girl who was killed was her niece i believe her sister's daughter yes it was her niece uh so she is turned on to this when she goes to the funeral uh not Mm -hmm. even expecting the story when she gets there uh, what I think is interesting in terms of the urban legends thing is that's kind of the same plot as Candyman. Uh, Candyman is has the same framing as that Virginia Madsen uh, is doing uh, her thesis on urban legends, and that's how they discover Candyman in like the Cabrini Green. Okay, I I, I find what I think is really interesting about The Ring is that it's it's a very like postmodern horror film because it's about media and it's about movies and it's about the moving image and all of that but it's also uh sort of pulling in every piece of horror it's got a lot of different uh elements of horror that it's sort of turning all in on themselves like it's it's sort of 
an interesting horror movie about horror movies and about just horror. Okay, yeah, I I can I didn't I didn't pick that up when I was watching it, but I could see that. So what what she finds out here is she starts talking to the kids at the funeral. Like she can't really find anything out when she talks to the adults. The adults mm-hmm. don't really have a lot of real information because they don't want to believe the reality of the situation, I suppose. Well, and fair enough, really. Um, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, <laughs> we hear about the discovery of the girl and, and we, I think we do get an image of it and it's definitely nowhere near as shocking as it is in the American remake version, which I no, remember being um, a distinctly very shocking moment, even though it's like totally silent. It's of an incredibly effective, almost jump scare, even though there's no sound, which is kind of, you know, an essential element of a jump scare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, there's, we, we're, we're going to go into this eventually, I'm sure, but there's a lot of things I think the American version does better. Which yeah, uh, is kind of an unpopular opinion, I think. Yeah, and maybe both of us uh, feel sort of the same way about this, but I do like the American version better. I like this version, this movie a lot, and I think it's pretty great. But I think there are some interesting refinements in the American version. I really especially like the video better. I, and I think that's really key. Mm-hmm. The, the video needed to be really, really weird for this to work. Well, and there's just more to it and there's more for them to research and more to look into because this movie and sort of spoilers for our, our discussion on this, but it involves psychic powers in the main characters, uh, which I guess is not, you know, there, there's nothing absurd about it because it's a movie based around a character with psychic powers who's the villain. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it just feels odd to me that there's also our psychic heroes. And I, I don't know, it, it's... yeah. It feels like less satisfying work to me than the American version where you see them do all of the reporting research and they really have to do a lot more work because, you know, they're still working within the same time frame, but they have a lot more research to do where it kind of falls into their laps in this one. Oh, uh, it, it really does. There, there's a lot of conveniences in the storytelling. And I think that's sort of just part of the more folktale urban legend element of it, too. Mm-hmm. Like it sort of just bungs to the the sort of fairy tale nature of the the storyline, and also because this is a change in Japanese cinema. Because like this was like you know a, a seismic event in Japanese horror. Like this is huge. Like there are so many Sadako movies. Like I said, mm-hmm. there there there's a Sadako versus uh, the the Grudge Girl movie. They've done the Freddy versus Jason thing with those. (laughs) I'm so happy that that exists. I bet it's so dumb. I'm sure it does. Uh, I've never seen any of the Grudge movies, to be fair. Uh, I Uh, saw the American one because I used to be in love with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Totally fair. Any good? I don't remember. (laughs) That's also pretty fair. Uh, uh, So She wasn't right for the role. I know that. Yeah. Well, like I I find a lot of these American remake versions of international horror movies usually to not be very good. Like I don't like most of them. Usually. Uh, somehow mm-hmm. just I well I think Gore Verbinski is a very good director. Uh he he's one of the greats. Like w- one of the great studio guys right now. 
Okay. Uh, he, he did the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which is oh, okay. a really okay. weird contrast to The Ring, because he, he did The Ring like in between those. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just imagining Johnny Depp in The Ring. As, you know, the, the scumbag, as the scumbag boyfriend or the ex-husband. Sure. <laughs> or victim number seven. Well, that's kind of that. That is the last victim. More or oh, less, well, yeah, right? I guess so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, um, so so she we're we're at the point where she's at the funeral and she's talking to the kids about the tape uh, and yeah. that they find and she finds out about not only that they have this story going around, but that uh, the f- we, we find out what happened to the friend from the opening scene that she went insane. Uh, and she won't be in a room with the television anymore. So she saw right. it went down. Yeah, that's right. She saw the, yeah, the, I missed, or I kind of forgot about that. But yeah, she saw it. And even though we didn't, she saw it and she's just, yeah, she's broken. And it's interesting that we don't, like, I, I guess she's just unable to track her down. She's not able to get to her in a hospital, but like, she doesn't go talk to her, right? I, I don't think she's ever able to. Uh, find the girl. Oh, to, you're right. No, she to, doesn't. Which does seem like in, in most versions of this film, that would be an essential thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but what she does get the role of photos uh, from their trip to Izu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, she, and she gets this developed and she finds that on the tape, uh, all of them have distorted faces after the point where they watch the movie, which is pretty cool i i like the the distinction of that that she's going through the photos and they're normal and then it gets to a point with the second day of the trip after they've seen the tape and their faces are all distorted and uh you you can't tell who they are anymore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, please it looks like it might be an effect of the of like say, bad developing but it just it's just weird that it would only be their faces so yeah obviously something's up there well, and it's it's the photo effect again. Uh, so, like the the idea of physical media as being this sort of bridge between worlds, where like the the psychic energy of Sadako can imprint on film uh, and, oh. and like both pictures on just like it, she has this psychic energy that somehow is able to work into film media for some reason. And maybe mm-hmm. like telephones, she seems to be able to to work on those too. Yeah, the, um, I think the the connect between the girl and the and the uh, electronic media or the physical media, the film media, mm-hmm. I think that works better in this version, given her backstory, than it does in the American version. Because yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, because in the American version, it's. it's not really connected to her backstory isn't really connected to technology no, whereas not, this not really it never really comes up in the american version that i can think where, of whereas in this it's all about technology it's all about yes. um, big time spoiler alert it's about human experimentation and uh, there there is a bit of that yeah so she's able to track down the place where they stayed she knows she finds out it's the izu peninsula and she goes up to visit the inn where they stayed uh, and instantly she spots the unmarked tape and she has like a vision of it while she's there seeing it. Right. Right. Like it, it 
turns to black and white and it goes really grainy and it has an intense focus in like it, her having this intense psychic vision of this item, even though she is not a psychic character in this film. Yeah, I didn't uh, realize that was supposed to be psychic at first. I just thought that was just an effect like, oh, hey, audience well, member, look at this. That's important. See, that's what I would normally have thought. And I think it's probably what I thought the first time I watched this movie. But I've watched this movie like four or five times now. And it's strange that it's the only time we get something like this that's not part of a flashback or dream sequence or uh, actual psychic vision. Because we do have a character who has psychic visions later mm -hmm. on. And it just seems like she immediately recognizes somehow like this bolt of psychic power makes her recognize that this is the tape that she needs to look at. And it's like, I, I wonder if that's another thing that's a, a, a part of the power of the tape that. Oh, could be. You know, it, that someone seeking it will find it. Yeah. It's, it, I guess part of it would be the tape would want you to watch it. Right. Otherwise, like, why would the children in the cabin in the first place have watched this thing? Unless, because, like, they had, there was all these movies they could have rented. Yeah, like, it's, it's strange, but it just, uh, who knows? Yeah, so uh, maybe, maybe they had a similar thing, and it's like, we need to see that one. I don't know why. And yeah. Well, it, it, it is very interesting, and this is, it does leave a lot of empty space around the edges, maybe more so than the American version. And I kind of get why a lot of people would prefer that. I do like a really elliptical movie a lot of the time. I just really like the video and all of the procedural elements of the American version. I, it's, it's almost like a police uh, investigation movie. It actually, yeah, that's right. Or reporting or, or yeah, like a, a, it's like spotlight investigative journalism yes. sort of thing. But yes. They're they're dealing with something much more urgent than you usually get in one of those movies. It's something, you know, they they have one week to discover this to to uncover this story, or it will kill them. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. So she watches the movie in this cabin, right? And it's much shorter than the American version. Uh, it has the horse's eye, where we see uh -huh. one a character in the horse's eye, but we don't really know what it is in this first time i think it just says sada like, yeah it's not the whole name just sada yeah uh we see the well we see the mirror with her mother in it mm -hmm. and, and we I, see the words eruption just right. moving around like uh, uh some sort of news article where eruption's the only word that's big enough for us to see but there's a whole lot of other characters just moving around rapidly and impossible to decipher it um, it kind of looked like when you look at uh multi-celled organisms or single-celled organisms under a microscope that that yeah. kind of movement yeah very much like that um and we see just there's one other shot of just a whole bunch of people crawling yes but like backwards was it yeah it seems to be and i think that's everything in this version of the tape there there's a lot more in the american version there's a whole yeah, lot of other right. clues there like the actual ring in the, the ring version. yeah isn't that crazy that there is no not the ring in this. in this movie yeah that's so weird mm -hmm. uh, i mean i guess 
it's it's implied enough so we do see it at that one moment but it's left to be a mystery in the film until that point but we yes. actually see it we're like it, it's strange that we don't see it in the tape because that was like the center of all the advertising in the american version mm-hmm. like, like oh it looks like an eclipse what does it mean turns well, I, out a- it, it was literally the tagline uh mm-hmm. before you die you see the ring because it's the ring is, oh. is what you see I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, she watches the tape, obviously. Yep. Uh, and the phone rings. Uh, she gets the seven days message, I believe. Uh, and then we get the introduction of her ex pretty much right away. It sort of just cuts to her back. I, I think she, she we, we pretty much don't have any transition time. We just cut to the ex arriving at their place. Before we even know who he is, I thought he was just some guy at first. Yeah, we, we see him encountering the son outside, uh, who I don't believe we mentioned, but she did go to the funeral with him previously. Oh, that's okay. She barely cares about the son either. Yeah, the son is weird in this. He, he doesn't have much to do. He's a lot creepier in the American version. Uh, the, the kid in the American version is sort of more actively creepy and troubling. Like you get why that version of the kid watched the tape mm. where it doesn't seem as obvious in this case. Cause this kid just seems like maybe a normal kid. Although he is being haunted. Yeah. We, we later learn he, he is being haunted by the niece. Yeah. Uh, after the funeral. Oh, and then, Oh, that question that he asks the mother, this one actually did hit what he says to her is like, can kids die too? Oh yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know how I would answer that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, y'all can. Sorry. Uh, so we, we find uh, Ryuji is Ryuji. Yes. Ryuji is, uh, the ex and he's much more distant, uh, than the American version. The American guy, the American version of this guy is kind of a sleaze bag. Uh, he's sleeping with one of his students and I think maybe he, this guy also is, but it's less obvious in this case. It's, it's kind of implied here cause they go to his office at one point and then the student comes in and I just imagine this exchange is like, hello student. This is my ex-wife. I'll be fucking her later tonight. Hello ex-wife. This is my student. I fucked her this morning. Yeah, it, it does. It, it definitely is implied in this version, but it is definitely happening in the American version. Like it's, it's quite clear that they're a couple in that version. She later mm-hmm. discovers him in that version. And we don't really get why he's very distant. We don't really understand their relationship in this one. We kind of just get the impression at this point that it's because of, you know, their emotions, their, their past emotions. But uh, it, it turns out to be something different that uh, is going on with him. But we, we find that out later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she shows him the tape and he watches it. Uh, and she makes a copy for him to analyze, which is a very key moment in the film. Uh, although it's not known to be key uh, when you're originally watching. But her making a copy is pretty fundamental. Oh, yes. Uh, so he, they, they analyze the tape, uh, and the tape analysis is 
interesting in this one, but it, I, again, much less intensive uh, than in the American one, because there's not as much for them to get into. But they mm -hmm. uh, trace this odd aphorism uh, used. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it is. It's, it's this weird phrase, uh, but they trace it to Oshima Island and they find the eruption article, uh, which, which is shown shaking in the video. Yeah. Uh, and Ryuji IDs the woman uh, in the video, the, the woman in the mirror, as being the one who predicted the eruption, and her name is Shizuko. And she's been, um, yeah, and she says she's claiming to have psychic powers, and she's working with or being worked on by this... Uh, Doctor kind of Crooked Doctor. Yeah, Doctor like Iwata or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh and, and he definitely seems shady. Oh sh oh yeah. Uh and and it's around this time that Yoichi, uh the son, also watches the tape. Uh and he says that he watches it specifically because the ghost of the niece told him to. Mm-hmm. Uh, why why do you think the ghost would have told him to? He might have just made that up. Although I, he <laughs> My I feeling doubt it, is that he did not. I and I feel I like don't think that's he did, but... Yeah. Because you know, spirituality and psychology or uh, psychic powers, like all of this is very real and present in this film. So it kinda is yeah, within no, the I... logical frame that it is a true thing. But I, I think sure. it's interesting that the ghost of the niece tells him to watch it. And I, I wonder if it's a matter of her wanting like to light a fire under them to solve the mystery. Uh, could be, that's kind of what it, that's probably what it would be. Or um, just out of pure initially, malice. I just chalked it up to the kid watch the tape. Cause he's fucking bored because she leaves him behind. And <laughs> it's like one line. It's like the husband is like, well, what about the kid? Are you okay? Leaving him at home. It's like, ah, he's used to it. Well, and in the the American version, you know he watched the tape because he's a creepy, terrifying little monster child already. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> he's this incredibly spooky. This kid seems yeah. pretty down to earth. This kid seems like he would be pretty normal if his parents didn't suck. Yeah, like when he's hanging with his grandfather. His grandfather's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um. So now, obviously, they really need to figure this out because they want to save Yuichi. Yeah. Uh, so they, they do quickly find out about these ESP tests, which discredited the doctor. And this is the uh, testing that you were talking about earlier, this uh, medical testing. And mm -hmm. there were like these weird public tests. Yeah, it was really strange. It was like, it, was, it felt like a spectacle. Uh, there were all these reporters gathered. It feels like something that would have happened much further in the past. Like it looks actually, yes, it looks like that. I, I got that feeling too. It's like hmm. it feels like the twenties or the thirties, like a medicine show kind of thing, rather than really something does. that would have happened and in, in fact, the sixties. It's almost kind of filmed that way too. Yeah, totally. It, it's got like, that old, old timey black and white aesthetic when we get the yeah flashbacks. with that that weird choppy motion because yeah, undercranked. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's very strange. It really is. I didn't... Uh, and, and we also find out here that uh, Shizuko's daughter was involved in these ESP tests. And so this is the first we get of Sadako. Mm -hmm. Our uh, 
creepy hair well child that everybody knows about. Of course. Samara in the American version, but Sadako in everywhere right. else. Yeah. Uh, and the the long black hair, especially in water, this is a big Japanese folktale thing. Uh, not, not even just Japanese. I, I've definitely seen this in uh, German films as well. Uh, but the the black the long black hair of death, you know, is it just because the the hair? Be, I, I think it's a myth that the hair keeps growing after death. It's just that the scalp recedes, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so you're just a hairy skull. Uh, so, right. So we we don't get much of the ESP tests at this point. I think we just find out about them and that they discredited him, but we don't actually see the flashbacks until later because I believe that's where they sort of make the final, that's where he has, uh, you know, spoilers, uh, Ryuji is a psychic and he has psychic flashes and sees these ESP tests later on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, right. But right now they meet an old man at the inn who clearly knows more than he's letting on. Right, right. The old man. Um, and oh, he doesn't. The he, deal there. He doesn't make anywhere near as much of an impression as his counterpart in the American version, who's Brian Cox. Uh, who I don't know. He's, he's in so much stuff. You you might know him from uh, Manhunter when he was the original Hannibal Lecter. Uh, okay. You, you might know him from Super Troopers as the chief. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, in the American version of The Ring, he's this guy, and he commits suicide in a really spectacular way by just, like, wiring every single electronic appliance into the in the house into one grid and then dropping them all into a bathtub with himself and just like, blowing himself wow. through the wall. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Such a wild scene. Oh, uh, shit. The, the old man in the end, in this version, he really doesn't do much, uh... And he's, he kind of just ends up helping them in mild ways. Like, he he takes them back to the island later on. Oh, yeah, that's right, because nobody else wanted to go there or something, I think. Yeah, or... and I think he might be the doctor. Oh, that doctor would be interesting. I can't I don't remember. Because, but... like, he doesn't do much. We, we see him a couple times. Uh, there's the part where he flees down to the beach and they, they follow him down to the water. And it seems, and, and this is, I think, where Ryuji gets those psychic flashes, maybe? Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I watched this, like, three weeks ago. So <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this is a, a little bit uh, out of my mind. Like, I, I have a few little gaps, but it's something like that. The, the, but Some, ultimately, yeah. like, the old man is not, especially important in this version no, comparatively. Really oh right yeah no so he sees the esp tests when he touches the old guy when they're on the beach right and it's in these uh these tests where a reporter just spontaneously dies yeah he's killed by sadako's mind mm -hmm. uh super cool <laughs> yeah yeah really really awesome as the reporter's just in the middle of calling them all a fraud yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, and they realize from this, like, Ryuji is able to put together that the tape is a physical manifestation of Sadako's rage. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's the, her rage living on past her in the world to spread further out. 
so a typhoon comes up, but the old man takes them back to Izu, even though no one else will. Uh, and they're hoping to find Sadako's body, and they're pretty sure that that will lift the curse, because that's sort of how folktales work. It's usually what happens. Find the body, give them a decent burial, boom, curse is gone. It's great. Nice. Right, and I mean, the, a there's... A little package! Uh, have you ever seen the movie The Changeling, a George C. Scott horror movie? I don't think I have. It's like I think it's from 1980. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's a very moody one. Uh, and basically this exact thing happens and i and i think that this is another thing that uh is just sort of this movie sort of pulling together a lot of different resources i'm getting a weird weird sound on your end yeah my cat found oh, the microphone it's, it's the kitty <laughs> it's the kitty oh she wants to snug a microphone i understand um so uh what was i saying um, so they, they're trying to find where where the body is. Oh, I, I was talking about Changeling, right. Oh, uh, right, I'm sorry, so Changeling, yes. Changeling, uh, it, it has that conclusion. They find a well hidden under a house, and they dig it out, and they get into the well, and they pull out the body, and they resolve a curse. Right. Um, so, like, that, that exact thing is, is fully from this other movie, and it's, it's sort of like a, a recurring thing. In a lot of stuff, I, we we see a variation on that in uh, Cabin in the Woods, for instance, where at the beginning, it, the reason everything is so important in this version of in in this playthrough of Cabin in the Woods, if you've seen the movie, uh, <laughs> yes. is that the the Japanese version didn't work out because they were able to do this little exorcism ceremony at the beginning mm -hmm. of theirs. So they're. They, they find the well, which is underneath the inn, uh, and they don't have to pull up the floorboards or anything. They can just, like, crawl right, it's in, under. It's in a crawl space. They, like, build it on top of this well. Yeah. Whereas in uh, the American version, they just have to pull up the floorboards under the room they stayed in, and they find the well under it, which is spookier. Yeah, that's way scarier, actually. This, they just, like, kind of break through a wall and go into the basement. It's like, oh, here it is. <laughs> yeah, but their, their plan to uh, get it, their plan to get the, the body out of the well is t objectively terrible. It's really weird. I don't know what they're, they're doing here. Uh, we do see a psychic flash right away when they find the well of the doctor dropping her into the well. Uh, yeah. So they do immediately know that it is, that, this is the right place. Mm -hmm. uh, and they so, remove the lid and Ryuji is the one who climbs down and he finds all these broken fingernails in the walls. So they know yeah. that she was still alive when she was sealed in. Yeah, that was. Well, the, the fingernail detail, I can't remember what it was like in the American version, but when we got to the big climax scene, that seeing that in this one really bugged me it's like because because you get a close up of the fingernails and i'm getting my ahead of myself but no, i i agree like it's it's pretty harsh uh and and i think especially in this version of the movie which is quieter slower and uh less packed than the american version the american version i think is longer and has a few bigger set pieces and a few more deaths mm -hmm. uh and you know the the first you know when when they find her in the closet in the early part it's it's a more horrifying moment 
Uh, there's a really crazy scene with a horse jumping off a ferry and right. <laughs> the propellers of a boat, which is insane in the American version. None of that's in this. So the fingernails thing is probably the single most horrifying image in the entirety of this version of the ring. Oh, to me it is for sure. It's yeah. not even close. It, it, it's it's a very gross visceral image absolutely and especially just because it reveals that she was trapped in here alive for some time sealed in yeah for yeah uh, who, knows who knows how long, how long. um so the way they're trying to get her out of the well they're they're trying to drain the well of all the water they're bucket brigading all the water <laughs> out. bucket at a time so slowly too Oh uh, my god, it's like, I, I sure hope this well isn't connected to like an underground stream or something. <laughs> well, you'd think it would be. It's a well. It's a well! <laughs> like, what were you going to do? And like, it's still full of water, even though it, there's clearly no water being put into it at this point, because there's a house over it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, strange. And... Asakawa just starts running out of energy in a really weird way. Like, it seems like I'm not really sure how to read this part. It kind of seems like maybe she's giving up at first, but uh, she trades places with Ryuji. And I feel like this is kind of a necessary element. And it, it's a weird part that's unexplained. It doesn't, it really seems like this weird uh elaborate way of doing this that doesn't make sense that they'd go to the trouble of having him climb down the well and have him doing that and have all these scenes where she's up there getting tired and then have them switch places so that she can find the body it seems really weird to structure it that way yeah to have him down there first but i think it's purposeful in that because of his psychic powers he can't be the one to find sadako and release her because he would recognize her true nature oh oh interesting because if he because, because like she finds him almost immediately right yeah. yeah exactly yeah and and um as soon as asakawa goes down pretty much immediately she finds sadako's hair like uh, yeah. almost instantly the hair floats up to the top and she finds her Whereas, you know, they, they'd been doing this for seemingly a long time. The sun sets during the, perp during the time he's down there. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting because there's really no mention made of it or anything, but that does feel like the only real reason that that would take place. That Just makes sense. Structurally, even. I still think it's a weird scene. Like, it is a strange I, scene. I just think, yeah, I don't know. It's strangely structured, but I think that's the reason why it's just not like a lot of the other things you're sort of supposed to fill in the gaps yourself. It's not a movie that goes out of the way to explain things, which I appreciate. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. The, it doesn't even have an ending. I love it. It kind of doesn't. But, you know, that that's also sort of a horror trope as well, is that, you know, True. horror movies never really end. They just... Uh, pass over one victim mm -hmm. yeah so so they get they get the little girl up they get her body up right and the 7 um, p.m deadline they, they were working at a 7 p.m deadline that day uh, right because that's an asakawa right yeah. so they think they must have done it right uh and so they're fine and then like the next day 
uh, the TV comes on at Ryuji's. And then we see... Uh, and then Sadako. he gets killed. Well, no, we actually do see the whole process <laughs> we do see, oh, this yeah. time. We, we see her climb out of the well very slowly in the image and then climb out of the TV. Uh, yeah. And it's pretty well done. It's not it as, is. like, the effects are not as strong as in the remakes. They had a much bigger budget and it was a couple years later. But, but it works. It's effective. It totally works. Mm-hmm. And you get the close-up of her just destroyed fingernails as she's crawling out of the TV. Mm-hmm. And that just, that upset me. That uh, that was upsetting. Yeah. Uh, and we, we again get the photo effect. Uh, in Like a an extreme close-up of his face and just this extreme terror on his face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, I like that they didn't show exactly how she killed him. Yeah. Um, you, or I figured... to try to figure it out. It's probably like, sure. It's probably just, she used psychic power, but who knows? I feel like it's a psychic blast of rage and terror. Like you, you die of terror because the the bodies when you see when when we see the body of the girl like she looks like she has died of pure horror yeah yeah so that that's that's what happens to him right and so and... asakawa is trying to figure out how why why she survived and why he didn't because the curse probably still technically would be on yuichi at this point so yeah. she still so needs to figure like... it out <laughs> What did I do that he didn't do? What did I do? And what was it? She made a copy. Made a copy and showed it to someone. She made a copy and passed the curse on to someone else. Yeah. Uh, so the same rules as It Follows. Yes, but with if It Follows, we don't know if it goes back after it kills someone. Like with It Follows, it, it does. If it kills the one person. Right. Then right. look back to the person before them. We right. don't know if that's going to be the case here, but either way, she's going after Yoichi. Right, but but similar rules where like uh, you you have the the curse has to pass you over, and you you have to pass on the curse to someone else to survive. Like you can't mm-hmm. just escape it. You have to put the curse on someone else. You have to sustain the curse. You have to perpetuate it, which I think yeah, is yeah. A, an interesting horror element. Uh, and this really does feel like the start of the modern horror renaissance. I really feel like The Ring is sort of the thing that kicked off a lot of it. It's, it seems really fundamental to a lot of where horror has gone in terms of good horror. Uh, the, the more independent, the more interesting horror films that people have been doing these days. Stuff like It Follows and The Witch and... Um, oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, The Witch is great. Oh, really? Okay. Super fun. Um, it's I, I would describe it as like a horror movie about witchcraft if people had been making horror movies in like the 19th century. That sounds really fun. It's really cool. Uh, like it, it feels very otherworldly because it's it, it it has a language and sort of a cinematic style and and just a storytelling style that feels uh, from a different era altogether from like a pre cinematic era. I think it's like one of the best modern horror films. Very very interesting. Oh, good to know. Good to know. But what I like about this movie and what I like about a lot of these other modern horror movies is it's sort of the first 
not necessarily the first, but it's it's sort of what uh, starts this big trend of horror of stillness and quiet. Uh, you you get a lot of emotional distance between characters rather than a lot of screaming and blood and oh my God, running around and stalking. So much more interesting to me. Yeah, well, it's Seeing... icy, cold horror. Mm-hmm. I like that stuff. Oh, uh, we should probably mention, after she finds out that you have to uh, pass the curse on to someone else, we see her driving to uh, her grandparents' place where Yoichi is staying, and we cut to credits. And now the movie's over. Right, right. Yeah, that that is pretty yeah. much the end. Um, and, and I guess the other big thing about this is uh, the idea of the low technology of magic crossing over into modern technology. Uh, the the idea of magic with with both you know we have psychic powers and we have uh, her own curse and and that sort of energy uh, being able to infect technology in some way mm-hmm. uh, and and the power of technology is that it's endlessly sustainable like it, it's it, it goes beyond uh, human energies so the the psychic energies can pass into media because they're the eternal energy of the being, you know, uh, an, an aspect of the soul rather than of the body. Okay. Uh, but yeah, altogether, I, I really like the movie. I think it is great. I do slightly prefer the uh, Gore Verbinski version, although, to be fair, I did see that one first. Same, same. I, I only saw Ringu uh, just just for now for this right uh so i believe both of us have stories from seeing this film in the the original or the the american version in theaters correct (laughs) yes oh do you want to go first sure uh so i saw this opening night in theater uh whenever this this will be what 2002 ish uh no it would have it would have been earlier than that Oh one, uh, maybe oh eh. something like oh two, oh three. I think I it is oh two because it's it's after the first Pirates of the Caribbean and before the second, I believe. Yeah, anyway, I was in. I was in high school. I, yeah. I think you would have been in high school too, right? Uh, no, I was out, uh, but oh, okay. just out. Maybe oh, you know, I would have been just out of high school too. That's it, right, because it's two thousand two. Yeah, no, I was in university by that point. Uh, anyway, I, I saw this with a couple friends and it was opening night and it was just such an electric atmosphere. Like you could see the fear move through the audience. Like you could actually <clears throat> visibly see waves of just like, move through the audience. The people, I was like way up at the back. Um, and it was just very intense and you, you, there, you know, there's all this stuff about, you know, after seven days you see the ring and this is the first showing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so a buddy of mine who went with me, his little sister went the next day cause he raved about how good it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like later in the week, she was getting kind of unnerved about it. He's like, Hey, how many times, is it, how many days has it been since you saw it? And he's kind of messing with her about it. And then, Oh no, that the, the next week on the weekend, the power went out at their house and she freaked out. She totally melted down. <laughs> Just a, oh boy! And and they had like a big scary house out in the uh, out uh, by Elk Lake, so it's like just 
he he told me about he, he's just sitting in his room and the power went out and then immediately he just start, hears his sister start shrieking. Terror. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Uh, oh yeah, classic. Uh, uh, what's your story? Uh, similar actually. Okay. I, I think I think at the time the American movie almost had like a like a Slenderman kind of power. Kind of yeah. Uh, in the collective subconscious for a while, not for long, like yeah. not like actual Slender Man. Right. But uh, I went, um, it wasn't opening day, but I did go in the theater. Cool. Uh, I saw, I saw the movie. I was, I was, I thought it was pretty good. I was, I thought it was definitely scarier than what I was used to because at that time I wasn't really used to actually scary horror films. I was right. watching like Scream and that shit. Yeah, well, that was sort of what all horror was at that time. I kind of feel it was, like, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I definitely feel at that time when I saw this, I saw it and I was like, "This is the scariest movie I've ever seen, except for possibly The Exorcist," which I also saw the reissue in theaters around this time, and it was pretty intense because it was the version with the crab walk scene added back in. Was, oh, ooh, that's ew. ooh, that was that was a hard one to watch in theater because of that. Like, whoa, my god, that was intense. Yeah, so I I go home. I'm I have to work the next day. I or maybe I don't. I don't know. Anyways, I went home. I went to sleep. Mm. Um, I have this. The TV in my room turns on at about three a.m. Oh no! <laughs> it just turns itself on to static. I'm not joking. There is a reason for it, but at three a.m. after just watching the movie, I wasn't ready to hear it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What happens is my TV uh, has an alarm. Um, I, I used to use it to wake up in the morning. Oh, I didn't yeah. have an alarm clock, but I would have it like, I don't know, wake up to have it turn on to, I don't know, like the Today Show or something. Something oh, yeah. stupid. So it would turn on on its own. But I guess I guess the power had gone out um Oh right, or something yeah. at my house, so it disabled, so it fucked up the TV clock, but didn't turn off the alarm, and it turned it on static <laughs> on like whatever channel one or whatever the default channel was. Right, and it just turned on, and I was like, yeah. it took me a solid like couple minutes to figure out what had happened, but I was that was a it was an intense couple minutes. I wasn't I wasn't doing good. <laughs> I bet. Uh, yeah, like it, it's a very, very effective film. Uh, both versions are, I would say, although I would say that the the Japanese version is more thoughtful and philosophical. Like it's sort of uh -huh. about the relationships between people and uh, just emotional distances. Like everyone feels kind of separate in in really weird ways in this movie. Like they can't quite relate to one another. Uh, -huh. uh and, and that feels like it's at the center of all of their problems and that the ring is just sort of the thing that they're dealing with right now in the midst of all their you know emotional coldness uh i think it's a really great looking movie too uh it, it's it's really nicely shot it's bright it's got really rich colors and really nice cinematography i feel like a lot of japanese horror from around this time was more gray and watery in terms of its color mm. palette 
because uh, water is a really big element in a lot of the Japanese horror of this era. So like mm-hmm. uh, the director's previous movie, Dark Water, for instance, really has that sort of classic washed out gray, desaturated look. Uh, and I like that this movie doesn't have that, that it's it's a bit richer, uh, especially whenever we're outdoors. It's very bright and colorful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did enjoy that. Uh, I, I liked that this one didn't have an ending, whereas the other one did. Like, yeah, this one just of. cut to credits. Yeah, it's like, like, what well, is she going to do? Well, she, she knows they got to make a copy, uh, but... I, I guess part of it as well is that they knew a sequel was coming out simultaneously with this movie, although that sequel ultimately has very little to do with this movie. Um, I haven't seen the sequel myself, or any of the sequels, actually. Uh, so the box set that, we've, that we were reviewing, uh, I, we're, we're watching from the Arrow Rengu box. So it has all of the other sequels, and it has both of the two different path sequels. So we've got spiral, which is the one that came out simultaneously with it. Uh, and okay. ring two, which is the official sequel. Cause spiral is sort of the forgotten sequel. It's the one that came out at the same time. And people were like, uh, this is not the same storyline and same movie. It's, <laughs> it's based on the same concept, but it goes in a really different direction. Uh, and that one has its own sequels as well, from what I understand. But, so I, I guess there, we, we've got a couple different questions in terms of where we go next for that, uh, whether we're going to watch Spiral or Ring 2 next from this box. And also because we're deciding uh, what to replace this with in the stacks, uh, there's another box set under that. So we decide if we're watching another Ring movie next in that stack or something from another set. Ah, well, I am... Hmm. Interesting. I'm curious about the sequel, but I'm also curious about the other box set that's underneath. So uh, the other box set is just to, to begin. It is the uh, the Criterion Eclipse series, Volume Thirty Three, Up All Night with Robert Downey Sr. There's uh, a Robert Downey Sr. I guess there. Robert have to Downey be. Sr. Uh, his dad was a counterculture, experimental '60s filmmaker. Interesting. I didn't know uh, that. Uh, he, he was also an advertising guy, and he did a couple really... His most famous film is Putney Swope, uh, which is included in this set, and it's part of... It's an advertising satire about uh, this ad company who decides to promote a black guy as, like, the only black guy on their board to the head of the company. And, and like, they all just sort of do it as a joke, but then he takes over the company and he makes it work. But like, he leans really <laughs> heavily into race while doing it. It's a really fun movie. That sounds uh, interesting. Very, very funny. That's the only one of them that I've watched already. And I do have another version of it. Like, I, I have a better version of that on blue outside of this set. This set's just the DVD box. But we've got uh, five of his films in this set. Okay. Uh, well, just, uh, the first one in the set is a Babo 73 and it's, uh, sort of a politics one starring Taylor Mead, who is a big Andy Warhol guy as Studsbury, the whiny president of the United States. Oh, oh, a whiny president of the United States. What a <laughs> hilarious concept. <laughs> Unheard of. Unheard of. 
yeah. Sad. Uh, so that's it. Looks looks pretty cool. I have not gotten into any of the other stuff. I have watched Putney Swope before from that. There's so there's those or uh, Spiral or Ring Two next in the stack. And I guess like if we do push something off, like it still is in the stack, but I'll just like shuffle it down so we get to it later. Oh, okay. Well, then right? let's then then let's do that because. Uh... Okay, so yeah. uh, we'll we'll replace Ring in the stacks with Babo seventy three. The whiny, pr- I love it. <laughs> it sounds pretty fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of the extras on the disc, I found the documentaries to be generally all right. Uh, I didn't dig some of the talking heads that were in. It's the the guy who did the commentary track, David Collat. I, I wasn't really a fan of the commentary track. It had a little bit too much like youtube nerd guy energy he, he oh. ha- starts it off with like this very lengthy rant about how uh about ringu as the name's like it's not a real word and it's not it's not how oh, we'd like to believe it's that simple and like man get over it it's it's literally <laughs> on the package of the disc i mean it's i like i know it's not a real word but all words are made up my friend <laughs> and you can you can call a movie things that aren't real words too like um like uh putney swope isn't a real word it's a name oh <laughs> it's the name Shit, of the i didn't know that uh not oh. a real name but again all words are made up <laughs> ain't that the truth um but yeah uh overall pretty great i think the presentation on the arrow set is excellent uh really nice transfer and like when i first saw ring i had thought it was one of those sort of gray washed out ones so it was nice to see this blu-ray and it's like oh no the original version i watched on dvd just was not very good quality okay yeah yeah this i I was taken by the by the color of this it's not shot like a horror film at all no, it really isn't. It's quite nice. Like it, it's very pleasing to look at. Uh, very uh-huh. rich colors. Uh, a lot of autumn color to it outside. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and like I do think that it looks better in that respect than the American version, which does sort of use a desaturated color palette. Although I think it's pretty effective in the American version, and they do some really interesting contrast stuff. Like there's a part where after she watches the tape, we have the outside. Uh, and we see the tree where the leaves have all gone like this blood red. Oh, right, right. right. I love that movie, honestly. It's so good. <laughs> They're both uh, so good. I only ever saw it the one time. Oh, we should totally rewatch it sometime. Maybe. <laughs> it, it's, it's, a Maybe. Hard, it's a tough one. I, I've watched it quite a few times over the years because, like, I love a horror movie. And it's, it's one of my go-tos, but that's yeah, good times. Uh, so, uh, oh. I guess... Oh, any, anything further to say on The Ring? Yeah, it, okay, if I please. do watch The Ring and the TV turns itself on again, I'm not watching <laughs> any more Ring movies. I'm sorry, that's... I'm out. <laughs> that's pretty fair. <laughs> uh, so we've got two other movies to talk about. Uh, which do you want to move on to next? Um, Dios de la Bestia, or as I like to call it, Best Day Ever, but that's not what it's called. <laughs> because I don't beast. know Spanish. Yes. Oh, Day of the Beast, this movie. This uh, movie took me three attempts to watch it, not because it's bad, but because it's just so crazy. It's got it's a real so intensity much. to it, and it hits the ground running. Oh, yeah, it does. It's, um, like, my problem was I tried to... Oh, part of the reason why the uh, <laughs> the whole thing with the ring scared me is because I was on a lot of drugs at the time. 
Oh yeah. Uh, when the TV had turned itself on. Right. That'll do it. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so the first two times I attempted to watch day of the beast, I was high. It didn't need to do that. No. I thought that would enhance the experience. It didn't. The, the movie has its own intensity that you kind of just need to jump into. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to yeah. be ready to go with its energy right from the beginning. Cause like you have that scene right at the start where you've got the priests talking to each other and he's like, oh, I, I've, I've cracked the code. <laughs> cracked like, the code. Oh, oh. oh my God. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, you're, like you're running right lines, away. The first lines spoken are like, forgive me for I've sinned. What have you done? Nothing, but I'm going to do great evil. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay. I'm He's on like, board. We, we must sin like our lives depend on it because they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then he explains it to this priest, like diagram, but like, uh, what is it? Like a train passing or something happens that you can't hear what he's saying, but then he pulls out as he's explaining it. Well, the, this train's going or these bells are going or whatever. He pulls out like these papers and stuff and you can see him like doing a whole PowerPoint presentation almost. <laughs> and then the priest is like, the old priest at this point is immediately on board. And then the giant cross falls over and crushes him. And that's That's the first 20 seconds of the movie. And then we hit opening credits. Like what an awesome start. It was a great, great opening. Like I knew I was in for this movie right away. Like it it was so funny. Oh man. So, so this guy, and we don't know why yet, our priest. Guy, well, he's not a priest, right? He's, he's a theological he's scholar. A theologian, yeah. Yes. Yes, so this guy is doing as many sins as he can, but oh boy, <laughs> he doesn't know anything. So we've got this... Uh, he doesn't know credits. how he's, to sin. <laughs> he doesn't know how to do it. He he sees this homeless guy with like the thing, like the, the hat with the money, and he just takes the money out of the hat and doesn't say anything, and then he goes, he pushes over a mime, and then... <laughs> he's just it's just him sowing petty chaos everywhere it's so petty it's so petty um and he decides he needs to consult someone on this whole sin thing (laughs) right right so he goes to the record store and just before he goes to the record store we see inside it and the record store guy who turns out to be like one of the main characters i love this guy so much this guy's amazing but the record store guy we see him just smashing this other dude's face through the glass counter and then kicking him out of the store as this priest who wants to be the greatest sinner there is is asking him can you play this record backwards to see if there's a message because <laughs> he's looking for <laughs> satanic messages yeah yeah um i i really like the the death metal clerk guy who just is immediately also just totally on board with all of this. Like he finds the priest hilarious right away. Oh, like, oh yeah. yeah, that's right. I'm so into this. Let's, let's totally hang out. Yeah. <laughs> come I, I come meet remember. my family so you can stay at my house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I couldn't remember why the death metal guy started following the priest around, but yeah, it was just that. It's like, I got to see what this guy does. He's just like, oh, this guy, this is going to be fun. I have to see where this goes. And he's like, oh, well, so what do you know about drugs? And I'm like, well, I've got a pocket full of drugs here. And I've got a pocket full of drugs here. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> the, the guy just has access to everything. He, he knows all the bad stuff going on in town. He's like, this was the right guy for this guy to contact. Oh, absolutely. But also 
Maybe not, because then he goes on this adventure that he should not have gone on. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. So, oh, what happens after that? They go... They go to his the, the clerk guy's house and meet his weird family. Right, right. The girl who he the metal guy wants to shag, and the metal guy's mom, who is also extremely violent in contrast to this shitty so this priest who like wants to uh, I, I just love the contrast of this wimpy priest who wants to be so evil and then just always just just missing all these horrific acts of violence prepar- perpetrated by like just regular people, people around just him. regular just, folks just the, like, the violence of everyday life here yes because because we see the mother butchering a rabbit while she's discussing letting this priest stay yeah, and she's really not into letting the priest stay here. And like, I don't know about this. This seems like a scam. And the There's no like, trust for anyone. Yeah, and the and then the other girl's like, "Well, he paid twelve thousand for one night," and she pauses, like, "Well, that's different." Yeah. Oh, well, okay. If 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 we're getting money out of him, that's all right. And and we also get somewhere around here. We also start to hear about other horrible, violent acts going on in the background of this sort of a far-right terrorist group who have been watching oh, yes, homeless uh, people. Yeah, because he walks into a convenience store where these there's just all these people dead from this gang of homeless hunters. Yeah. And uh, pretty intense, again, like just this, this insane violence coming from out of nowhere that you know, he, he's trying to pull himself into sin, but like he's just in this maelstrom of sin that's just somehow just outside of what's going on with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, how does he... Uh, I can't remember. How does he get... find out about the psychic? I, I believe he sees him on TV at uh, the clerk's house. Oh, right, right. They're, they're watching like... TV at his house and like, that guy, this guy's pretty funny. Uh, and he's like, well, this is clearly the guy we need to talk to because he obviously knows stuff about the occult because he's just this cheesy TV psychic. And to the priest, this seems like, this guy has all the knowledge about the real stuff. (laughs) He's obviously a scam. It's so obvious. He is. Although (laughs) he's also sort of done the research into all of it. He's... He he does have all of the books and he has all of the knowledge. It's just, yeah. As the movie progresses, we come to the come to realize that maybe it doesn't really matter, and maybe none of it's real at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But so they they decide they have to get a hold of this guy either way. Yeah. Uh, And they they are able to get like get a hold of him fairly quickly for him being at least somewhat of a local celebrity, they're able to like go right to his house and they break in. Oh yeah. Oh, is this is it like, it might be a little bit later there. There might be a yeah. few things in between. Like I, I, this is fully a month ago that I watched the movie. Yeah, I know. Um, I, and I was pretty high for like the first half of the movie. It was only about the second half that right. I actually watched it sober and keep track of what's going on. But they do get to somehow they find out where he lives. Yeah, uh, I, I believe it's the clerk knew where he lives. Like he's just aware of him or he knew someone who knows where he lives. Because I, I think the guy lives in a really uh, cool like area yeah, like of a really town. ritzy uh, apartment building. 
Yeah, uh, and they they get in and they they hold the guy hostage and they need to do a bunch of acid to do the ritual. Well, <laughs> this part okay. This was I love this part because the guy because the whole time the psychic guy's like, "Oh, here's where we get the priest explaining the plan," and it's right. such a stupid plan. It is objectively like will not work. His plan. Because the Antichrist is going to be born today because of the code he cracked, his plan is to do as much sin as possible so that Satan trusts him so that he can get close to the devil and kill the Antichrist. Yeah. It's a terrible plan. Yes. Yeah. It's... it's so strange. Uh, <laughs> and, and like he also feels that by doing the sin, it will help him locate the Antichrist because being in the center of all the sin will naturally gravitate to wherever the Antichrist happens to be, uh, is Which, his theory. Yeah, that's his theory. And the psychic's like, come on, I don't know anything, I'm a fraud. Well, it's like, I, no, you have to know something. I, I feel like his theory is very based on classic Catholic thought. Like, it's, it's a very deep faith-based concept where it, it feels like the way religion works, but it's not the way society works. Mm-hmm. So, so, eventually, just to shut these guys up, the psychic tells them how to conduct a ritual. He's like, you need these super rare mushrooms that you can't get anywhere, and if you don't have them, like, you can't do this ritual. Sorry. And the metal guy's like, oh, here, I got some in my pocket. Because <laughs> they're psychedelic <laughs> mushrooms. Yes. Uh, and and he also has tabs of acid because they mm -hmm. they talked about that earlier uh he's i i believe it's his dad is constantly taking acid like uh his dad is sort of like this acid casualty who's just hanging out in the house and he's feeding him acid all day long right yeah or he just walks like around naked with a bathrobe that's, that's... yeah yeah uh, and that's also part of why he's working with him. It's like, okay, you can also supply the acid and we get together. And uh, so they're on acid and shrooms and they're carving a pentagram into the floor of the TV guys, uh, the, the, the TV psychic's apartment, really nice yeah. apartment. Oh, super nice. So nice. Just carving a pentagram. Just carving a pentagram. Nice wood floor. And the guy's like, I told you to use, I told you to use salt. And the, and the metal guy's like, no, this is better. Or <laughs> something like that. And he's like, this is way cooler. <laughs> this, that's what it was. Something like that. This is way cooler. Yeah. Oh, oh they, and they need maiden's blood, too. Right. So she, he goes and tries to get blood from the... Uh, the, the girl, the girl the that the metal guy was trying to get with, and that turns into this whole thing. It's, man, it it is a weird uh, whole diversion where like he he ends up getting the mom involved in all of this, where she's like out to get them, and like no, no, he he gets into a battle with her, basically, yeah, right? Because like she she happens, it, there, there's like a fairly lengthy digression because he goes to the apartment and he's trying to like i i think he drugs her first like he, yeah, he put something he in her, her in her drink uh right and he's, he's trying to convince her to drink the coffee and she's like i don't like coffee right <laughs> uh and goes through this whole thing and finally he's able to get her knocked out and i believe it's when he's drawing her blood with a syringe that the mom shows up 
and freaks right. out. And then it's a whole battle with her, and the mom ends up dead. Yeah, she falls down many, many flights of stairs. It's it's pretty brutal, but it's also funny. Like it's a it's a gruesome slapstick death. Actually, this is a very slapstick is this movie this whole movie is like if slapstick comedy had blood yeah it's it's a gruesome slapstick movie uh, from front <laughs> to back it's it's just turbocharged energy like slapstick uh yeah. so he catches back up with them to do the ceremony uh with them all like they've got the carve the the pentagram carved and everything yeah and He's ready to set off and they've got the acid and the mushrooms and they do the ceremony, and they all take it, and then they see this black goat. Yeah. Which, of course, is a, a devil thing. Yeah. Um, and what does it say to them? Like, doesn't it, does it oh, say something? Oh, no. I don't remember. It does say something. I can't remember exactly what it says to them, but it gives them an idea of where they need to be. Uh, like, it gives them the last clues he needs to locate where the Antichrist is going to be. Yeah, something like that. But then, uh, and uh, th they go there. Like they, they do know, or I, I believe there's some sort of thing that they need to figure out. There's still a riddle that they need to solve, but I can't remember exactly how this works. But they go to this. It's it's like an abandoned tenement, right? Or a oh, building oh, under construction? Or is that much later? That's much later. That's okay. the end. Yeah, now, I, I here... don't remember what happens in between here. This is where I have a bit of a gap. Uh, okay, so here's where I remember stuff. So okay, here's perfect. where the psychic's um, girlfriend uh, shows up, and they're tripping balls at this oh, point. Yeah, that's right. And they, they just decide they, they have to go out the window right. for whatever reason. Yeah, <laughs> they have to go out the window uh, because metal they're tripping just... balls. <laughs> Metalhead is laughing his ass off. He thinks this is the funniest damn shit in the world. They're climbing on the wall of the outside of this apartment building, like on oh. a neon sign. Oh yeah, he and he falls. He... Well, Metalhead keeps letting go, right? Because he's him. he's like, I'm gonna kill myself. This is too much fun. I've peaked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so the psychic right. catches him but he falls like he yeah. actually falls and he lands actually and... falls has a pretty pretty hard fall but he yeah. does not die he just he does not die he, he he just gets pretty beat up yep um oh and then what so there he go he goes on tv like he decides like okay because his trip has convinced him that the priest's story is completely real. So he decides he has to go on TV to announce to the public uh, that the Antichrist is coming tonight and the world's going to end and they need to deal with this thing tonight. And, and he's like, cancel all the Christmas programs. And for some reason, the station just listens to him. Yeah, he must have a lot of clout. He must be like, yeah, exactly. Um. Oh yeah, and I guess we forgot to know this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, it's a Christmas movie, yes. Because yeah. the Antichrist does everything or Satan does everything that God does but the opposite. So the Antichrist is going to be born on Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, with three evil wise men and a bunch of other like like the whole well, they, they go through, world. They, they go through a discussion of how they feel that that will be uh, based on the code that he's cracked, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, again, it's all just 
the priest's theory of how he believes things are going to work out. And he's just very convincing to these guys, especially yeah, they, when they're on acid and shrooms, I guess. Yeah. Somehow. Um, I can't remember how, but somehow the metal guy gets a shotgun. Yep. He loves using it. He's having he, a great time with that shotgun. He uses that shotgun all the time. He's just always shooting up at the air <laughs> with it. And while he's following this priest along, trying to, I don't know, trying to help him and get away from these cops. I mean, he's um, just kind of having a ball. He, yeah. He's down for whatever's going on. He, he's just and, there for the adventure. Whereas meanwhile, the priest is like having a crisis of faith. He's like, am I really right? Is this all happening? I think the devil is laughing at us. And the metal guy's like, yeah, probably, but this, we still got to go. The cops are coming. Yeah. Um, they get separated at one point. Oh, he's he goes off to find a car. So the priest is like, I just need a sign from God or something. And he sees this billboard that says, the sign from God you are looking for is right here. <laughs> <laughs> and he watches the homeless hunters uh, find this homeless guy, catch him, light him on fire, and drive away while the homeless guy runs towards the priest. He... Um, and then dies in front of him. The priest turns him around, sees that he's wearing a t-shirt of Metal Guy's like favorite band, goes to the venue where the band is performing. Right. And, and, and he's like, what is it? He says to the bouncer, he's like, I'm looking, I need to find the Antichrist. He's like, no, no, Satanica's playing today. Go to the bar if you want show listings. <laughs> and then he uh, finds a goat pendant uh, from... Uh, girl at the at the metal show uh, rips it out. Bouncers just come and kick the shit out of him and leave him in a bathroom. Oh yeah, he gets totally stomped by the bouncers at the show. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. And I think that's it's like a little bit after that that he hooks back up with uh, the metal guy, right? That he yeah, finally yeah, shows right back that. up with the the car. Yeah, yeah, that's when they get the car. Um. And this is where the, the, and they, I think something in, something about what he learned at the venue, at the show, is what makes him realize that they need to go to, to this building? Or is it that they're trailing no, it's, it's, the, the it's homeless the hunter guys? Oh, no, the no, psychic. The, the psychic is the one who, uh, quote unquote, figures it out because he sees these two little lines in every, quote unquote, signature uh, that Satan never did. Oh, and, yeah. and the lines, and it's the same marks that are on the body of of the kid that he exercised in his TV program uh, right. in the beginning. So that's he figures right. that's the mark of the devil. And this construction site or abandoned whatever it is, this building—it's a building under construction. Uh, it's shaped just like that mark. Yeah, uh, and it just happens that when they go there. Uh, the homeless hunter guys are there too, or are arriving there just after they go in. Yeah, yeah. So that, and they do find people. They they do find a newborn in the building. A homeless couple has just like have had a baby, and they hear the baby crying, and they're they're like going through the building looking for that. Yeah. So then, then they meet up with the homeless hunters. Um, it turns into a big fight somehow. Now, I know there's a lot of somehows, and apparently they ended up at, but that's because this movie is just, 
it's if pretty we talked hard. about everything that happened, we'd be here forever. There, there's so many little like it is totally this situation where these guys get completely high and every single thing that happens is very important to them. So it sets plots in motion, even though it doesn't ultimately have any reality to it. It's just this crazed, drug-fueled, high-octane thing going on. It, it kind of made me think of if Hunter S. Thompson was a priest yeah. who wanted to stop who wanted to stop the birth of the Antichrist. It, it does have kind of a fear and loathing energy to it, for sure. Um, yeah. So the, the, the homeless hunters just blow away the, the homeless people with the baby. Yeah. Which like, they... is very harsh. Like it, it's, it's quite bleak that like, wow, that that's a, that's a really, it's, it's cold. Like it's, it's bleak. It, it, it's, yeah. it, I, it's, it's the part of the movie that, that I felt like it's what really landed the movie for me is like, it's a really fun movie. And then the ending is just like this harsh punch. It's like a gut punch. Like, wow. They, they, they did all of this just to uh, get in a fight with some right wing lunatics who murder who murder a baby. <laughs> like, yeah. So, th- fuck. so um, they get to the top of this building. I guess they're chased there or something. I don't know. And mm. then Satan shows up. Satan shows Maybe. up. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Mike <laughs> shows up. Drugs. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say at this point. I'm assuming it's still drugs, but either way. Satan throws the metal guy off the tower. He's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do they kill him? They kill Satan somehow. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I do not recall exactly what happens there. I, I just remember just it being uh, sort of a, an un... It's unsatisfying for them as well. Like it, It's sort of like, is it a triumph? It's, it's sort of an anti-triumphant ending, where it's like... I guess we succeeded, but it yeah. didn't really feel like success. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they like pushed him off the building or something. I'm Most, not sure. I, I believe something like that. But so, um, yeah, and I guess that's it. And, so and that is pretty much it. Like that, that is pretty much where it ends. I, I know it pretty much concludes with them, with the stuff at that building. Uh, well, and... th- there's a scene like nine months later. What was it? Uh, the scene nine months later, they've got a new uh, TV psychic to replace the the guy who was involved in all this shit because nobody knows where he went. And then we oh, cut to right. him and the priest looking really terrible, sitting on a park bench. And the psychic's like, you know what fucks me up? We saved the world and I can't tell anybody about it. And the priest is like, yeah, no one will believe us. And that's, that's it. Right. You're right. They're, the they're just living on the streets now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But with the honest to God belief that they just saved the world when really it was just really bad trip. Or maybe they did save the world. Maybe. Maybe. Could be. It, um, we, we, we get we it, it's it's ambiguous, but uh, I, I think it's up to your own reading of it. Totally. Uh, I, it, I really like it. Man, it, it man, it moves. It moves so fast. Oh, you can't take your eyes off that movie for a second. Yeah. Uh, like we've we've skipped so much stuff because we had to. Yeah, because it, it, it's just packed with events and little things happening and so many little details leading to other details. Uh, and 
yeah, just totally a great time. I also really like uh, Alex de la Iglesia's uh, previous movie. Or no, I guess it's the movie after this one. I haven't seen the previous one. This one uh, was his second movie, and then the third one is Perdita Durango, which is based on a novel that's a prequel to Wild at Heart. You know, the Nicolas Cage, David Lynch movie? I don't know if I've seen that. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, it's, uh, Nicolas Cage is this guy who has this prized snakeskin jacket and uh, there's this they're they're involved in this sort of weird wizard of oz allegory like six string samurai uh, oh yeah, yeah willem dafoe shows up and he's the creepiest willem dafoe has ever been and that's oh wow pretty creepy that's saying something uh yeah no it's it's one of my absolute favorites uh and perdida Durango is sort of a prequel to that but like you know, this the novel that it's based on is a prequel to that, uh, and it's a okay. Palomayambe movie. A uh, lot of fun. Also, really high octane, like this one. Uh, and that one has Antonio Banderas, and I think Rosie Perez. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I think I saw you showed me a trailer for that once. Yeah, pretty awesome. I would, if that's the same director as this, I'm definitely down to watch that. Yeah, we will totally have to check it out sometime. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, any further thoughts on Day of the Beast before we move on to Wrath of Khan? Yeah, the whole movie, like, you know how sometimes you just get YouTube compilations that's just all the best scenes of a movie slapped together with no real context? Yeah. That's kind of what the whole movie felt like, is just a whole bunch of all the best scenes from, like, just putting a whole bunch of best scenes together and it just doesn't stop. It's so yeah. good. It's it's, so... it's very nonstop. Like I I would uh, I would liken it to something like Running Scared, the Paul Walker movie. That just like what is going on? This movie is so out of control yeah. at every minute. Yeah. Or yeah, there's not a lot to compare it to, really. No, but... it's very rare that you see a movie that like it hits the accelerator of the floor in the first moment, and it just never really stops accelerating. <laughs> Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. The. Definite recommend. Very uh, high recommend. Absolutely. Careful if you're going to do it while um, under the influence of anything, because it's. I think my problem why I couldn't finish it until I got sober was because I was overstimulated. Yeah, very possible. Could like, be. It's it's got so much energy. Like it's it's a crazy energetic movie, and I would say Perdita Durango has a lot of that, but it's a little bit flabbier like it's it's a little bit softer around the edges so it doesn't move quite as fast but also great has the same kind of energy if Mm. not quite as sharply edited nice uh all right so our third film of the evening we're we're we're, uh blowing out this is going to be the first episode that goes up we're going to put all five episodes up this uh weekend to start putting these up live uh at least that's the plan unless something goes hideously wrong in the next few days Mm -hmm. hopefully it doesn't (laughs) uh we're talking about star trek to the wrath of khan and this is your first ever viewing of this film yeah um i have seen so i don't consider myself a big trek fan at all i i watch it when it's on you know back when I had cable and stuff was just on. Right. Um, I'll, I'll see the movies if someone else is going to go watch the movies, but typically I don't go out of my way to watch Star Trek, but I never hate it when it's around. Now, this I know movie... you saw, I know you saw the first two of the Kelvin Trek movies and Beyond I Darkness. Actually saw... 
I saw no, I saw all the recent ones. You saw all three um, of them. Okay. Yeah, That's what yeah, I was gonna ask. With the... I like I know you saw the first two. I wasn't sure if you'd seen Beyond as well. Beyond is really good. I really like Beyond. Um, I don't remember it that good. <laughs> it's fun. It's it's a lighter one. It's them going on a fun, just easygoing adventure. It it feels more like the original series than the other ones to me. Ah, ah, cool. Anyway. This but this is Wrath of Khan, and this is the best one. I'm just going to say that right now. I, I would say that that's totally I don't fair. think that's a controversial opinion either. No, not at all. Like, for me, I do like the first one the best, but 2 is pretty unimpeachable as the best one. Like, it's so good. Uh, it's, Shatner has never been better. I agree. Like, normally I can't stand to watch him, but he is, he's really... He nailed it here. He nails it, and like I, I think both him and Nimoy are like really firing on all cylinders uh, in this one. And it's interesting because Nimoy did not want to do this movie. Oh, really? He he was pretty done with Trek. Uh, oh, but then he had a really great time making this movie. Like I, apparently, everyone just like th- this was the one movie where everyone just kind of it, it just worked. Everyone was having a good time. The script worked. The cast worked, the crew worked, everyone was just in on it, and the audience loved it. Uh, the first one was sort of a flop, and they kind of weren't sure if this one was going to work, so it had a lower budget. And then it just, I don't know, uh, everyone was just like, this is this is the one, we're, we're having a great time. Uh, and th- that's why uh, Spock, spoilers obviously, but I, I think it's pretty much everyone knows this, as Spock dies at the end of this movie, because uh, he just didn't want to do the character anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, and, then and then he had so much fun doing the movie that they're like, well, maybe we can bring him back in the next one after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, they left it open. Yeah. To their credit, they left it open in such a way that they could uh, do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you ever seen the original Star Trek episode with Khan? Uh, no, the, I haven't. The Space Seed? A pretty good no, episode. It's a classic one. It did have Ricardo Montalban as Khan. Uh, and... The the backstory of Khan is that he is from, I think, our time, like circa 2020-ish. Uh, Around there, yeah. Yeah, and he's a genetically engineered Superman, basically. Like, he, he's, uh, he, he, he's a next step in evolution kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and he's gathered together a whole bunch of people, and they're on this ship that they find floating in space like he's in cryo sleep with his people and you know the enterprise finds them and wakes them all up and it it soon turns out that the guy is just incredibly evil mm-hmm. uh, and at the end of the episode kirk abandons them on this planet but like he he's like i still think that you're someone who has like he he respects Khan in a way as an enemy so he's like you can build a new society on this planet I, I know that if anyone can you're someone who can make this happen uh, but as we see when we catch up with Khan in this movie it didn't work out not at all not uh, at all and I think that's something that's really interesting about this movie is that it, it's showing a decision that Kirk made in one of these flippant old TOS episode endings where it's like, ah, oh, well, let's just uh, deal out some cosmic justice, like uh, the the freewheeling uh, space outlaw that I am. Uh, and mm-hmm. it really comes back to haunt him in a really bad way in this movie. 
Oh yeah, yeah. He <laughs> it 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 bites him. Um, the character will never forget what happened here in this movie. Nope. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, so w- where do we start with this one exactly? I can't remember quite because I, I watched one and two pretty we close together. We begin with the Kobayashi Maru. Oh yes, it's Kirsty Alley, right? Kirsty yeah, Alley taking Alley, which is um, God, I have complicated feelings about Kirsty Alley. He's yeah, I, I feel the same way because she's not a very cool person these days. But she was so great on Cheers back in the day. Yeah, and well, I like, never saw Cheers, but like she did some good this. stuff, and she is she's very good in this too. Like mm-hmm, she, she fits in so well on Trek. Like I could have seen her as a captain on a Trek show, totally. Oh yeah, totally. Like if she had been on Next Gen, would have been a good fit. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah. So yeah, she she's doing the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, well, we don't know it's a test at the time, but it's a it's a test. It is designed to be a no-win scenario to see how um, how you react when you face death. And she's like, she's mad. She's like, there was no way to win this scenario. And Kirk's like, no, there wasn't. You're right. That's correct. Um, but but and he, basically, he did beat it. And and I think she knows that. Like, it, doesn't she throw that back? And then it's like, but you beat it, didn't you? Or, or is yeah, it later that they talk about it? Because they he know did that he did it. it. Yeah. Well, he he did the test three times. Right. Because I I know it's later that we learn how he beat it. It's in just the most that, Kirk way imaginable. Well, he cheated, of course. <laughs> he cheated. <laughs> he he rewrote oh. the program. Oh, this whole movie is Captain Kirk cheating, and I love it. It's pretty great. Like you you really feel like you're on his side. Like it's a weird thing about Kirk. And this is why I think Shatner is so good in this movie is that you always kind of feel like he's sort of a bad guy and he's doing the wrong thing or he's doing things in probably not the best way, but man, you're always with him. There's just something about the guys like, yeah, but I kind of got to feel, I got to be on his side here though. Well, if if he didn't cheat, he couldn't beat Khan. But there's no way he would have been able to, because Khan, Khan cheated too. Khan cheats too, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I, I believe, do we do we get Khan showing up pretty soon? Because I, I, um, I know we get next... Walter Koenig and uh, 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 Chekhov, and yeah, we get Chekhov and Winfield? the other guy, Paul Winfield. I can't remember the name of the character. I believe it is Paul Winfield, the actor. Uh, and yeah. there are these two people who get captured by Khan. I, and I think they've just gone to check out the planet or something. They've they've gone to check out the planet. They're testing this thing called uh, Genesis. The we Genesis. don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Uh, we just know that it has to be used on a planet that has absolutely no life whatsoever. They say if there's even one microbe, you can't use it. So they get some kind of a reading or whatever from this planet. And they go to check it out to make sure it's not an error. Before they use, before they do whatever it is they're going to do with whatever this super secret thing is. Some sort of terraforming device is the impression we get from that's it. That's the, yeah, that's the impression. It, so they find a crashed ship and they investigate it and then they see Khan. That's when he captures them. Right. And we learn that uh, the planet that they were left on originally just failed right away and they tried to leave and then they crash landed here, correct? 
No, oh, not not quite. Not um, quite. Okay. The the planet that they thought that uh, Chekhov and company thought that this planet was. Oh, that, they that sent was, them uh, to the wrong planet. Not 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 quite. Uh, there, so this like Cetus or whatever five and Cetus six. They sent them to. So they sent Khan to Cetus five. Cetus six actually blew up, which sent five oh, flying right. into the orbit of where six was, which makes which is a completely uninhabitable thing. Yeah. Um. So when they land on this planet, they think they're landing on number six, but they they're landing on the ruined remains of planet five. The dead planet, right? Yes. And there, there's just wind and uh, horrible bugs and nothing else. Uh, and yeah. well, the, the, the only horrible bugs are the ones in Khan's little uh, <laughs> jar. Yes. Uh, and and, and in Walter Koenig's ear. <laughs> and in Walter Koenig's ear. Uh, legendary. Like, so I, I saw all of the Trek movies when I was quite young. I, I believe I mentioned this when we were talking briefly about motion picture a couple weeks ago. Um, that like that was a very fundamental one to me, and obviously so was this one because I watched the two of them back to back, and that scene really stuck with me. Like I've always had ear things, like I've always been sort of precious about my ears, and oh, uh, that scene always just ooh so gross. Mm. Oh man, yeah, and putting like this this horrifying creepy worm into the ear. It's a very good effect too, the the creature wow. effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad. I miss the days of practical effects for these things. Cause totally. Because today it would have been computer animated, and it yeah. Yeah, like sometimes been... at them, but most of the time it's just like you can tell it's not the same. Yeah, for sure. But like, like you could tell this creature, basically a Muppet, but what? Mm. But it was a really cool Muppet. You There's could tell it was Muppets. present in the scene with them. This movie has a bunch of Muppets because we we also have some Klingon pets later, which are very Muppety. The the That's... the Klingon dog is is quite Muppety, I feel. Oh, okay. Isn't it? Uh, isn't that well? Isn't that the thing that the gets the worm from? Like, isn't that the full grown version? Or am I thinking oh, of something is else? Is it the full grown version? I, I'm thinking of later on. Doesn't he have like a? a a big Klingon dog. No, oh, I'm I'm maybe thinking of a different. Yeah, I one. think you're thinking of a different one. Oh uh, no, that's right. I'm thinking of the one where Christopher Lloyd is a Klingon. Which one is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> there's there's a later Trek movie where Christopher Lloyd is a Klingon and he has a big Klingon dog. It's very silly. We'll get to it later. <laughs> the dish best served cold, Kirk. It's best served cold. Oh man. <laughs> Best of cold, yeah. and I was frozen today. <laughs> uh, so, so he puts the bug in Chekhov and this other captain's uh, ear. Is is the guy a captain, or is he like an admiral or something? He's got like whole decoration. He's got an unusual uh, outfit. They they call him the captain. They call him the captain. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he doesn't so get that... a lot to do. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Um, but this, one of the things that this ear bug does is it makes you really vulnerable to suggestion. Mm -hmm. So he gets Chekhov to radio the base where this Genesis is being kept and saying and say, hey, we're going to go take it now. And the doctor there's like, what the fuck you are? No, we are. It's Starfleet's orders. Who gave the order? Uh, Jim Kirk 
did. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That seems like a reasonable person. Yeah. I, I think probably this is uh, Khan's plan is to get Kirk into oh, it's, this. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. Khan's plan because he recognizes Chekhov. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. although what's weird is I don't believe Chekhov is in Space Seed. Like it, it's it is when Chekhov was on the show because Chekhov joined the show late, but I don't think he's. I, I think he's not in that episode, which is kind of weird. Sometimes that happens. Okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> if I recall correctly, it's it's been a little while since I watched the episode because I'm I'm a little bit before that in my current watch of it. But, anyways, uh, so so this is how we get Kirk into the picture. Yep, because the doctor contacts Kirk. Is like, why are you taking Genesis? He's like, what? Who's taking Genesis? What are you talking about? It's so a pretty Kirk's like I. Please. Better go there. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's a pretty interesting setup because everybody's sort of broken up again. We we had the team all together in... Like, the team all got back together in the motion picture, and you kind of have to get the team back together again in this one because, you know, Spock is off doing another thing. He's off to do his... Uh, what What is the name of the procedure? Oh, gosh. Um... It's, it's sort of a last stage in... Uh, uh, Vulcan development where you permanently uh, get rid of all emotion. Anyway, I don't remember that there is a technical term that they give for it, and I should know it, but I, it's it's escaping me at the moment. And Kirk's an admiral and not a captain anymore, so he's he's got a desk job and he's um, bored. He hates it. Everyone's like, "No, you got to be in command of a ship again." And he's bored, and he's feeling that he's getting old too old to go around in space and stuff. That's kind of a big thing for him in this movie. It's kind of almost a midlife crisis movie that he's in. Yes. Like yes, Kirk it is. is experiencing a midlife crisis and that, that's sort of where he is in the movie. And like, obviously later we, we have him hook up with an old flame who, uh, and th is this the one where we, uh, meet the old flame Yes, because uh, okay. he has a son with Where her. Where we have the son, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's Who the doctor Who he did not know about previously, correct? No, he knew, but he was asked to stay away. He was asked to stay away, okay. Which sure. he did, which yeah. he did. Oh, uh, he the certainly does Yeah, the son doesn't know that he's the Kirk's that's, dad. That's what it was, it's, he was not aware of it. Because I, I know yeah. they have, like, that first meeting is, is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, where's Dr. Lucas? I'm Dr. Lucas. And Kirk's just like, oh, shit, I just punched out my son. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but but so he goes to the space station. Um, at this point, Khan has taken over the ship that Chekhov and the other guy were on. Mm -hmm. And And he's uh, got that ship as his warship now, and he's got plans. To get his oh, revenge. Oh, does he ever? Oh man, his his revenge plan is good. Like not like so many of the other plans we've discussed today. This is, these are all good plans. Yeah, this is a very well constructed film, uh, and it's mm -hmm. and the characters all have very well constructed plans in dealing with it. Like it's it's a very compact movie where Day of the Beast is messy and high octane. This one is really stripped down. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of detail and there's a lot of character moments and there's a lot to it, but 
like plot wise, it's, it's really quick. It's relentless. It just sets things up and knocks them down. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, um, in this movie, like a lot of the movie is just Kirk and Khan trying to outwit each other. It's, and it ends up being a case, uh, a game of, well, he knows that I'm thinking this, but if, but if I do that, then he knows that I know that he knows that. The five dimensional chess. It, it is. It's, they're playing 5D chess with each other. Right. Um, Which I, then, I love because the, that's also a metaphor that comes from Trek to begin with because they have that. <laughs> Have, oh, is that where it's from? Well, they they have 4D chess. That's a thing on Trek. It's oh, like geez. chess played on multiple boards. Okay, I didn't know that's where that <laughs> came from. I, I think it maybe it. shows up on Next Gen. I don't know if it shows up on TOS at all. Okay. Um, yeah, like a lot of the specifics of who fooled who and how and what is... There's a lot of lost on me. Well, there's just so many back and forths. They they, they keep going. They're they're constantly one upping each other, and they they keep changing which one has advantage at the time. And, and the interesting thing is, it's all it's framed as a battle for the super weapon, but none of the people involved actually cares about the super weapon. They just care about the interpersonal each other. conflict. Yeah, yeah. The super weapon is just like. Well, it's not even a weapon. It's just something that could be used as a weapon. What Genesis is, it turns out, is it's this thing that basically rearranges uh, molecules in order to create the scenario that would involve the spontaneous creation of life Mm -hmm. uh, by rewriting basically the molecular structure of everything it comes across. Now, if it's used on something that's already alive, of course, it has to destroy it, break it down to its molecular level, and then rebuild it into what it wants to. Hence why it can very much be used as a super weapon. Yeah, it's like this evolutionary terraforming bomb. uh, And kind of similar to what we get in uh, the J.J. Abrams Trek uh, with the the black matter, or the red matter, uh, when that collapses planets. Uh, it's sort of oh yeah. It, it's sort of that, except it doesn't have the second step where it rebuilds it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I believe this is where we get Spock, who's about to go through this ceremony, and then he has a feeling that he cannot go through it because he realizes that he is needed for this thing. Right? right. Like he he gets the feeling, like he he has the impression that he is needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, I, I, is there something that happens that calls him? Like, is there a certain? I think he just. Like, I thought he just. Kind it is of just was a there. psychic impression, right? Yeah, I, because he's about to do it, and then he stops and he decides not to, and because there's something else he has to do first. Okay, um, I I don't quite recall that part. Something like that, anyways. Yeah. Uh, but so they, they all start meeting up. Uh, we are on the ship with Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley is, I, I think she was going to be the captain, or she is the captain, and Kirk is um, taking over on the ship as, like, I don't know, does he just immediately she, take over as captain? Might... Or is she well, actually the... the captain in the movie? Uh, Spock is the captain. She's the first mate, but she was training... Uh, she was training under Spock in the beginning, I guess, to eventually okay. be her own captain. 
Uh, but Kirk is the admiral, and the book says that if the admiral is doing is on board during a mission, then they're in command. Right. So right. Kirk has to be in charge, and he's discussing this with Spock. And Spock's like, no, or Kirk's like, no, it's your ship. You should be in charge. And Spock's like, you should know. I don't have an ego to bruise. Right. And then Kirk's just like, okay, well, fair enough. I do. Yeah. He doesn't say that, but he, <laughs> he absolutely does. <laughs> uh, I love what we, we get DeForest Kelly around here too. And I love his leisure suit. <laughs> yeah. His big white open, uh, open shirt and the big peace or not peace medallion, but like, he's got a great big sexy medallion and his open chest. <laughs> like, wow, bones, what are you doing? Seventies <laughs> came around again. I guess <laughs> to get everyone back together. A lot of them are already on the enterprise anyways, I guess. Yeah. Like a horror. It doesn't still take there. long. Sulu is still there. Uh, and Scotty or is Scotty's still there. there. Uh, I, I think it's just Chekhov who's out in out somewhere uh, with the thing in his ear. Yeah, yeah. On the other project. Um, yeah, basically we have all this stuff to get everyone back together. They go to the space station um, where for they find the other ship and the other ship attacks them because they don't know what's con on this ship yet. Right. And after shooting them a bunch... And a little mini space battle. Khan shows up on the screen and is like, by the way, I'm the one who's killing you. Pretty good screen acting in this. Like a, a lot of view screen acting. Uh, Kirk and uh, Khan are never in the actual same physical space in this movie. But you really no, they still... aren't. Yeah, it, it's great that you still totally get all of the power of their personal enmity just through them yelling at each other through a screen the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so this kicks off. Basically, the whole movie is just a big battle of wits between these two. Just back and forth, setback, gain all the way through. Yep. Yeah, like um, eventually Khan gets his hands on the Genesis and traps. Uh, oh, uh, he traps Kirk and company in in the room where the Genesis is, which is like inside this asteroid and it's got no entrances and no exits and they're going to be trapped forever and Kirk just is all like hey Khan but he says it a bit louder than that oh, um, yes it's late and I have upstairs neighbors but you know yeah you know you everyone knows the, it. the big line it's, it's, it's the big line it's the line it, it is very well delivered. Like, I, I know it's kind of a meme now, but man, like, it is one of those lines that has persisted because it just, like, it works. Mm -hmm. Like, man, you, you really feel Shatner there. Like, that, that's like the big, it's, it's the one that needed the really big delivery. Yeah, because here's the part, at this point, Shatner's convinced he's lost. Mm -hmm. or, or, and for a while, maybe not convinced, but he's definitely down right now. Yeah. And, uh, but then they find out, they show him the Genesis um, that they used inside this asteroid. And it's this jungle in the middle of an asteroid. And it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, God. How do they get out of the ship now? Or out of the asteroid? Can't quite remember how they end up getting out of there. I just know that they end up back on the Enterprise. Uh... 
I think perhaps they are rescued by the Enterprise or something. They're they're yeah, able to get maybe. a signal or something. Uh, but they do end up being back in opposing ships again, uh, and they're able to you know get get back into their one on one rivalry. Uh, yep. Because like Khan is still working on his plan, and they still need to thwart him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they lure Khan into this nebula. Uh, really, which really is cool scene. So cool! Oh my god, I was just I was just transfixed on my TV whenever they showed like the exterior shots. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, like gorgeous space shooting in this movie. Like it, it really looks great. It's maybe oh, yeah. the best Bet- TOS has looked for that. Better than anything uh, Star Wars had done in this era. Yeah, very likely. I'd, I'd say so, in my opinion. Like just in terms of the beauty of space, you don't really get that in Star Wars because Star Wars is more about the battles. Uh huh. Whereas uh, Trek is kind of more about exploration, so you get you know beautiful vistas. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, oh. and and this whole battle, even though it's slow, it's intense. Mm-hmm. Like it's an you don't get a lot of uh, like space dogfighting in Trek, but here you do. It, it's like a submarine movie. Like it, you, you feel like you're watching the the That's tension it, of yes. a submarine battle. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. I was trying to think of what it reminded me of, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a like submarine movie. Yeah, and. And like they're they're going back and forth like this, and then Spock says to Kirk, he's like, you know, he's smart, but he's inexperienced. He seems to be thinking on a two D level, mm-hmm. and Kirk's just like, <laughs> so Kirk just goes down. Yeah. Oh, um, it's important to note that of course the instruments and stuff can't work in this nebula. You got just kind of visual, like what you can see visually, and just. Feeling right. it for aiming. It's it's sort of why they went into the nebula. It's like okay, we're we're nobody shields this. works. No yeah, instruments. nobody's instruments. We're we're gonna yeah. just like sort this out. Sort of like a hand to hand combat choice. In a way, yeah. And then there's this. So like the Enterprise goes down under Khan ship while Khan's looking for him, and you just see. I love this shot. You see the Enterprise. If this were a slasher film, you'd have. Con ship as the victim, and then you just see like Michael Myers's face, which in this case is the Enterprise, just rising up over his shoulder behind him, ready to <laughs> and, deliver the blow. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, "Oh yes!" And and he wins, of course. Yeah. In the it's, end, Kirk wins. I I love that the solution to it is involving. 3D space battles because that's sort of a big thing in a lot of space movies where you have big space battles they're usually not 3D you just see people fighting as if it's a 2D plane so it's really fun to have the solution to this movie literally being man why are we just fighting on a 2D plane <laughs> let's, go, well, let's go 3D yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly because in aerial dog fights you can't really do that because you got gravity right but in space, you don't. But in space, you absolutely could just be in any angle, and you never, you don't see it often. No, you really uh, rarely do. So I, I think that's pretty cool that this is, that's the solution here, or part of the solution, obviously. Because yeah. he also has to hack into his ship at one oh, point. Oh, right! <laughs> he hacks, he hacks Khan's ship for a while. He just enters in a, a literal cheat code. Because, uh, well, because 
I, it's it's a very Star Trek thing that all of the Enterprise, or not all of the Enterprise, all, all of the Starfleet ships have these codes where if you are another commander in Starfleet, you can get into their ship because it's a utopian future where they don't really need to worry about people doing things uh, wrong. People are not, they, they're not worried about people exploiting this. Yeah, yes. I, I forgot about him hacking the ship. That was awesome. It was great. There's also like points where like he knows his communications are being monitored, so they're like they're saying things that we later learn are completely not true. Like we only have like oh yeah, we only have this much time, but they actually have more time than they say they did. Yeah, it's it's smart. Like it's a very smartly written one. It's it's. What I really dig about Wrath of Khan is that it's both the typical Trek way of doing things where they resolve things through intelligently coming up with a logical way of solving it, but it's also got the action, which is much less common for Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what ends up happening is Khan activates the Genesis, um, by the once he realizes that he's done, and uh, what this is going to basically just fuck up any th- like fuck up the whole nebula and turn it into something else. So they've got to get out of the nebula, but their engines are busted, and uh, somebody has to go in and fix the warp drive. But because of how damaged the ship is, there's all this radiation and stuff, and no human can survive the radiation in there. Right, radiation is just pouring out of the warp core. Yeah, yeah. So Spock's like, well, as you like to remind me all the time, I am not human. And Bones is like, no, don't do it. And Spock's like, okay, I won't do it. Hey, how's Scotty doing? So Bones goes to check on Scotty and and Spock's just like, zap. Yeah. Or uh, whatever, the neck pinch. And then goes in and fixes the warp core and fucking dies. Yeah. He, He, Spock, dies. Like, when I heard that Spock comes back, I thought this would just be a fake death, but nope, nope, he actually died here. Yeah, he dies. They have a funeral, and that's that's how the movie ends, basically. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, for, for me, when I saw this in elementary school as a kid, it was, it, like, that That was huge. Like, I, oh, yeah. It, it's, it's what really got me, like, these first two movies are what got me into Trek for life like I'm, I'm not a huge trek guy i've really only watched uh the first two i i like tos i like next gen and i've seen a little bit of voyager and deep space nine but not much but uh, i i love the just it, it's it's what sells all the soap opera dynamics of the show uh, as well as just the the utopian space adventure of it, it it's just the the movie that really does all of the Trek things really well. Yeah, and and just the 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 emotion of the final scene is so well carried by everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Spock's death has real impact, and like his farewell to Kirk while he's dying, while like they're they're. Uh, on other sides of a pane of glass, like it's it's very moving. Mm-hmm. Like I I almost cried at the end. I certainly did the first time I watched it. Uh, that's but that is like twenty years ago, uh, maybe close to thirty years ago. Good lord. Yeah, but in the final shot we see Spock's 
coffin, which had been launched out of the torpedo bay, landed on the planet that Genesis built. Is Very building. pretty shot. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we, we see the capsule just in, in this uh, verdant f- uh, forest that's, yeah. that's uh, developing. And that's... And that's, that's pretty much it. Although we, we, we also kind of skipped over uh, Shatner's really great eulogy, which is fairly oh, legendary, oh, yes. heavily quoted. Uh, you know, uh, of all the souls I've I've touched in my journeys, uh, his is the most human. Uh, and and just yeah. the, the little break when he says "human," oh, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. good. That was really good. Very like, very good. Even though I I hadn't heard it, I think I I knew what he was going to say. Yeah. Khan was great. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. Ricardo Montalban is so incredibly good in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's such a fantastic big villain performance. Uh, like, and and it's not really scenery chewing. It's big, but it's it it feels appropriate to the character. Uh, it yes. feels appropriate to the size of his anger in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, great stuff. Uh, it's, it's my second favorite, but I, I totally see why it's most people's favorite. I, nothing I've seen from Star Trek comes close. In That's my fair. Opinion. And I would say that none of the ones after it are close to as good other than, I, I would say the, that the 2007 or is it 2009? Uh, anyway, the Abrams, the first Trek, I'd say that comes reasonably close. But not. It's pretty good. I, I, yeah, that it's one good. had Ruffalo, or no? Was it Oscar Isaac? I can't uh, remember. It was one of them. I can't remember. It's it's got so many people in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a big cast. Uh, I did watch it uh, like six months ago. I can't remember. I I don't think Ruffalo's in it. It's got uh, Judge Dredd. What's his name? Um, who plays Bones? Okay. Uh, the the guy who played Judge Dredd in like the two th- the. The more recent Judge Dredd, not the terrible Sylvester Stallone one. Uh, I never saw that one. Oh man, you gotta see that. That's great. That one oh, rules. Yeah. Oh, it's oh okay. Honestly, w- one of my favorite like modern action movies. Very oh, really? like uh, you've seen The Raid, right? I think we saw The Raid. I saw The Raid too. Oh, you saw The Raid too. Well, st- I mean, they're both you know people attacking a skyscraper. Uh, also, the plot of Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta fight our way up a skyscraper full of dangerous people. That's that's the movie, and it rules. Does Carl awesome. Winslow help him? No, but they do have drugs that make things go in slow motion so that they can have cool slow motion sequences. Did Carl Winslow invent the drugs? <laughs> no, sadly. No, no Carl Winslow influence on this one, I'm afraid. Y- you really should see more of him in things. Uh, and <laughs> and especially in in like the skyscraper genre in, in which he's so fundamental. <laughs> uh, any last thoughts on Wrath of Khan before we move on to our uh, movements? Um, no, I just think that Khan should have been a more iconic villain than Darth Vader. That's a that. controversial take. I, I can see that. I, I feel like the reason Vader is, well, I, I mean, first Vader came first. Well, Vader did come well, first and no, technically, longer. I guess, I guess to be fair, uh, Khan came first, but it was on TV, but yeah. Vader also is simpler and just has that iconic design. 
it's that's it's true. The, it's the outfit. The clothes make the man. Oh, Khan's gloves, though. I love. Oh, his I do gloves. love. Con- I I Just love Khan's outfit altogether, honestly. And the big open chest is great. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So it's so like eighty eighties villain, but here it works. It, he it basically there's... set the template. Like it created this character. It, it created a lot of this this way of doing that character because I I don't feel like this was all that common previously. You could be right. It definitely took off afterwards. Mm-hmm. Maybe okay. So maybe I'm wrong, and maybe Khan is more iconic than I thought he was, just because I hadn't he's, been exposed to him. Yeah, I think he's fairly iconic, but maybe he, like certainly Vader is bigger in culture. Like oh, absolutely. Other, other than just like the Shatner yelling Khan thing, obviously. Yeah, which is yeah. huge. Yeah, it's huge, and. Uh, this movie had to end with Khan dying, though. I wanted more Khan, but you, you, you can't get more Khan after this. True, true. <laughs> like, if, if the movie ended with him alive, every other movie afterwards would just be them the same thing. Just going right. back and forth forever, because that's all Khan's ever going to do. Yeah, like, Khan is too single-minded to have him be a villain who's just, like, on ice somewhere uh, unless they have something where like they can put him on another abandoned planet and like you just kind of can't go back to that well again yeah yeah no they it was so good so good. like like if i never like if that was if that final shot was just the last star trek thing that happened um it would be satisfying a uh, way to end yeah. the entire franchise I, I totally agree. And I think at the time they thought it was because, I mean, uh, Nimoy did not want to come back as Spock. And, the, you know, he's an essential character. And as well, like, the first movie was a bit of a flop. The second one was like, well, we're going to try it one more time. And if this works, it works. If it doesn't, yeah, well, maybe we can try TV again or something. Uh, <laughs> and then it, it worked. Like, it worked big. And it's it's why we still have Trek. This This movie hit everything correctly yeah like like i don't think there's a thing single thing about this movie that was poorly done or that i didn't like or or that made me kind of scratch my head and go oh, i might have done this a different way i think this was just yeah the the script is totally airtight it just keeps moving all of the character decisions make sense internally all of the character relationships are good it's great it's just a I'm really excellent Kirk- film I'm glad Kirk didn't hook up with uh, Kirstie Alley. Yeah, that too. I thought they were gonna. It, it does seem like they would bring in this younger actress and have this whole setup for that reason, and it's good that they don't. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if actually that was. I wonder if that was meant to be like a fake out, like just to be like, oh, this is the girl that Kirk's gonna sleep with today. Oh, oh, okay. Guess not. Yeah, uh, and I guess like her being Vulcan would would make that kind of maybe less possible, less likely. True, true. Yeah, uh, great movie. Totally great. <laughs> That's you can see why I was, recommend. You, you can see why uh, when I was talking last week, I was like, I'm pretty stoked to watch three again now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know it's not as good. Like I remember from the many times I've watched it after watching two that it's not as good, but it's it's pretty solid. It's pretty good. Uh, it, it's it's satisfying to watch after watching too, just because you have so much goodwill to the franchise after seeing it. 
Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so I guess uh, ready to move on to uh, the movements in the stacks for the past Yes. two weeks, because uh, we, Yeah. we took a week off. Scheduling Yeah. issues. Uh, Yes. so I watched, I watched quite a bit of stuff, uh, not a huge, huge amount because I also had a ton of stuff to catch up with on the Criterion channel, but, uh, I, there's still a fair amount of movements. Uh, so I guess for starters here, uh, I watched Murder Mansion. I, I believe I talked about that briefly the other week. It's whoop. something fall over on your side. Yeah, my cat wants treats. Oh, it's a kitty. Okay, It's <laughs> a kitty. of course. She wants Um, treats. so She has Murder treats Mansion, now. Murder Mansion, uh, it's, uh, from the Forgotten Gialli box set from Vinegar Syndrome, uh, volume three. Uh, I watched both of the last two movies in this set. So Murder Mansion is one where like these people are just out in the countryside and they break down and just all of them end up staying at this creepy gothic mansion next to a graveyard uh, where obviously bad things are going to go on. And it doesn't really seem to make sense that any of them would be there at first, but it sort of ultimately does come to make sense just because of the convoluted plot, the way it's sort of revealed to you as it goes on. Uh, Mm but mm-hmm. it's a good time. Uh, it, it moves pretty fast. Uh, it, it moves pretty fast. Uh, and also watched the other one in that set, which is Crazy Desires of a Murderer, which is about this, uh, th this lady who is a countess, uh, who just, I don
Hitcher in the Dark. Uh, it, it was called Hitcher in the Dark to capitalize on uh, the success of the Rutger Hauer movie, The Hitcher, but has absolutely nothing to do with it. I see one of those sort of deals. Yep. Uh, I also watched uh, several movies from the Al Adamson box set from Severin that I've been working at for a while. I watched Black Samurai, which is a Jim Kelly movie, uh, where obviously he is a black samurai. It, it's almost a James Bond movie in a really weird sort of way. He He kind of has a James Bond energy. I believe it's... Black Samurai that he ha- spends a bunch of time flying around with a jetpack. Nice. Uh, at the end of the movie, he he's just uh, going all over with a jetpack to take out some bad guys. Uh, it's him against Odd Job, uh, Harold Sakata, the guy who played Odd Job in uh, Doctor cool. and he, as the villain, has stolen these freeze bombs. So bombs that just instantly freeze things, uh, and Jim Kelly has to get the weapon back from him. Right. Uh, and I also watched Death Dimension, which is another Jim Kelly one. Uh, and, man, which one was that one? Uh, I, I feel like I might be mixing up the two of them. Uh, no, okay, so no, no, sorry. Death Dimension is the Harold Sakata one with the freeze bombs. Uh, Black Samurai is, uh, geez, what the heck was Black Samurai? Good Lord. Okay. So Black Samurai is, it, it is sort of a James Bondy kind of thing. And no, man, it's, what the hell? I I've got this all mixed up. The, the Black Samurai is the one with the freeze bombs and it is the one okay. where he's flying around with a jetpack and is, uh, fighting uh, to, to get that thing back. Uh, but a uh, death dimension is the one with Harold Sakata and it just has a different plot. It's, uh, the one that uh, I can't remember the, the plot of death dimension, uh, is, I don't know. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I, I, these two movies, like I watch them kind of, they get hard to keep track of Well, like, and they're both like these two crazy Jim Kelly, Al Adamson, just weird black exploitation, exploitation, nonsense movies. Uh, and they they are completely blended together in my mind. I can't remember which one was which and what happened in which one of them. Uh, but they were both like really fun. Uh, okay. So Death Dimension is the one with the freeze bombs uh, and Black Samurai. Black Samurai also appears to be about a freeze bomb. I, like I'm looking at the Wikipedia pages for them right now. So maybe I'm just crazy. Like they both seem to list the exact same plots on Wikipedia. I definitely watch both of these movies. I don't know. <laughs> I also watched Sunset Cove, which is another uh, Al Adamson one. Uh, this was his take on the 70s sex, teen sex comedy. Uh, it's uh, one of these movies where, oh, a bunch of us got to band together and save our beach from condo developers. Uh, and it's very simple. It's But it, man, it, like I don't know. I, I had a really good time watching it because it was just such a chill hangout movie. Very, very undemanding nice. and very uh, light, silly, uh, very 70s watch. I also watched The Giant Claw. I believe I mentioned that to you uh, already. And you've seen The Giant Claw, right? Yes. 
Yes. I don't know if no? I have. Oh my god. So Giant Claw is uh th- that's very famously uh it's the size of a battleship. Right. Uh, and it's it's said quite a few times. It's about this giant antimatter space vulture. It's the size of a flying battleship, obviously. Uh and it's, you know, yeah, I'm looking at the art and it's just this big bird it's breaking a skyscraper. It's an insane looking prop too. Like the the way the bird looks uh they they built the bird prop after they'd made the rest of the movie and the actors had played it all very seriously and they'd done this movie and it's a fairly heavily researched and kind of like kind of clever science although like I don't think it really ultimately makes much sense but they spend a lot of time on it and they do a lot of detail with it and then there, there's a story that the lead actor used to tell about it where he went to go see the picture in his hometown at like his local theater because you know he's sort of a local guy and anytime they had a big movie that he was in it would everyone would go and go see it with him uh and he was so embarrassed the moment that the creature appears that he left <laughs> <laughs> oh no uh, I absolutely uh, love it. It's one of my absolute favorite giant monster movies because the thing is so incredibly silly looking. It makes these crazy caw sounds all the time. Uh, and it's just weird, goofy movie. I definitely want to watch that one. Heck yeah. I listen, <laughs> listen to the other choices, of course, but that's on that's on my list. And, and it's like a, a, a very breezy, like 70 minutes or something, too. <laughs> Oh, nice. Uh, I watched Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about uh, Fred Rogers. Is that the Tom Hanks one or is that a different this one? This one's a documentary. Uh, th- this one isn't like uh, starring anyone as him. It's just his life story as, oh, as okay. a documentary film. Uh, various right. footage of throughout his life and throughout the series. Uh, very good. I cried. It's very sweet. Uh, he's totally lovable. It's, it's kind of hard not to love him. Uh, I also watched, I, or I finished watching that Altered Innocence collection, uh, which is, is the collection oh. of the stuff with um, all coming-of-age and LGBT-themed uh, short films. So I told you about a few of those. Oh, okay. There's the one about the, the kid who has autism and he uh, won't let anyone touch the bunny ears he wears. Uh, there's a part where a, there, right. there's these there's a band practicing in a forest and they're uh, sort of uh, ruminating over first love. Uh, there's a couple of girls dancing in uh, next to, like, uh, dancing to techno next to uh, a big lake, and, and there's like I, I don't know. It, it's it's all very imagistic. There there's a lot of like teen longing. Uh, it, it's uh, often a lot of queer energy. It's it's pretty good. Uh, up and cool. down, not all of them are great, but just, just kind of as a whole milieu, it's, it's all pretty enjoyable to watch. And there's a couple of cool music videos in there as well. Right on, right on. Uh, my cat may attack the microphone again. So if you hear any funny noises, Ooh. that's it. Okay. Uh, I watched Scanner Cop 2, uh, the second of the Scanner uh, Cop yes. movies. Uh, this one is a Scanner Vampire Cop, or sorry, a, a the the scanner cop versus a scanner vampire uh okay and he just like uses his scanning powers to uh drain people's entire life essence and make himself more powerful so that he can 
get stronger to take on the scanner cop, who is the most powerful scanner of them all, I guess. Of course. Because he's never taken anything to dampen his scanning powers because he's able to control it somehow, especially. Ah. Uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, very, very good effect. Like the first one, uh, same. Uh, it's, it's John Carl Buchler again, who's a really good 80s gushy body horror effects guy. Uh, lots of fun. Both of them are a great time. Uh, let's see. I watched Treasure of the Ninja, which is a homemade Super 8 film. Uh, oh, I'm looking at the art and it just looks like somebody kind of drew it with pencil crayons. Uh, I would say almost definitely he did. It's this guy named <laughs> William Lee, who just through the 80s shot a whole bunch of Super 8 Ninja movies with him as uh, the star. And he, he basically kind of sets himself as sort of a quasi Bruce Lee guy. Uh, right. And it, it's just, you know, him fighting ninjas and uh, in a series of like suburban lawns and backyards and public spaces and it's 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 a really good time it's so silly it, it it's just kind of magically low-key nice nice uh i watched black hat which is the last the, the most recent michael mann picture the only one i had not yet seen that's the one where chris hemsworth is a super hacker okay uh and it's great I, I was really surprised because it was a huge flop and I've not really heard good things about it, but it's a great time. I, I think it was like, I, I mean, for, for man, obviously it's beautifully shot. It looks incredible. Uh, and it almost has the feel of a mission impossible movie, except very little happens most of the time. Uh, even though we <clears throat> open with a nuclear meltdown, uh, hackers hack into a Chinese nuclear facility and cause a meltdown and that kicks the adventure off. Right. Uh, and yeah, so he's, he's a super hacker and he's trying to stop uh, uh, an evil super hacker. Uh, but it feels like a very serious and deep drama rather than, you know, what you'd usually get with hackers, like the 98 hackers movie. Like, like hackers. Although similar kind of deep inside computer aesthetics at times, which was kind of cool. Oh, okay. Uh, and the last one I watched... Uh, I think, yeah, Trackdown, uh, which is about, uh, are you familiar with Hardcore, the George C. Scott movie? It rings, oh, oh, is that the one where, um, where it's all shot in like first person from this, from the view of the protagonist? No, that, that's Hardcore Henry. Uh, Har Hardcore's oh, okay. like this 70s movie with George C. Scott, where he's this dad who's trying to track down his daughter who has like gone to California and has be gotten into the porn industry. Uh, okay. This is kind of similar to that. It's about this rancher from Montana played by uh, Jim Mitchum, Robert Mitchum's brother or no, no, okay. not his brother, his, his son, his oldest son. Uh, and he looks quite a lot like Robert Mitchum, but uh, he doesn't really have the acting chops. It's pretty flat. Okay. Um, and he's searching for his runaway sister who has, gotten apparently into uh prostitution and drugs but like we we see her path and uh it, it was not really her getting into things is just her kind of being forced into a series of things uh it's it's a very bleak movie it's quite harsh at times but 
it's strange because most of the rest of it is again just this really chill hangout movie just punctuated by a couple very ugly scenes of violence uh i would say it's pretty good but it's harsh uh it it has some issues in that regard uh and so the last additions we've got uh we're adding to the stacks beyond terror uh this is let's see Ugh. the additions yeah i got all of the uh movies around me that i'm going to talk about when because <laughs> there's just a lot to go over uh beyond terror is this you know it's it's another teen violence gang horror movie uh this is another spanish one like day of the beast uh the uh-huh. these uh, uh a gang of evil teens uh kidnap some people and they go to an abandoned church and just uh you know a bunch of blasphemy and they they find or they they hear a local legend that there's a fortune guarded by mummies in the ruins beneath the church uh and they you know go to investigate that obviously <laughs> of course sounds pretty cool i i have not seen that mm-hmm. one uh we also had nurse sherry which is the next one in the al adamson box uh this is another cult uh like a movie about uh, a cult there's uh, this cult leader who i believe he has psychic powers this is a movie i've seen before but it's been a couple years it's it's a very weird grungy psychotronic cult movie uh and there was also a porno version of it like there is a version that was reshot with uh porn scenes added which is very weird with sexy nurse porn i don't know very strange movie there is also your vice is a locked door it replacing won't you be my neighbor is your vice is a locked door and only i have the key (laughs) what (laughs) okay uh it's it's a an italian version uh, it, like a giallo version of the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Black Cat. It's about uh, okay. this, this debauched count who is just always having these g- giant orgy parties and stuff, and his wife hates them, but you know he's he, he doesn't care about that. And uh, eventually, there are a series of murders. Uh, I, I I don't know how much it follows the typical Black Cat. Uh, story structure. It's in the Arrow box set of two different Black Cat versions with Lucio Fulci's The Black Cat, uh, and I know that that one has very re- little relation to the original Poe story. <laughs> uh, we also had The People Under the Stairs, which is the Wes Craven 90s picture about uh, this boy who's trapped in a creepy house. Uh, and and okay. there's like something creepy under the stairs. Uh, that it's like it's Harry Potter. It could be Harry Potter. He he's a uh, he's the people under the stairs. <laughs> uh, it's one I saw when I was really young, and I have not seen it since then. I don't have a lot of recollection of it, but you know, it's a Wes Craven uh, a couple years before Scream. Okay, good. Uh, and last one that's added, or no, no, two more added. Uh, Lose, uh, which is. Uh, from Altered Innocence as well. Uh, they're as a company, as a as a Blu-ray label. All of their stuff is LGBT themed or coming of age themed. Okay. So this one's a synth horror thing, like about a cab driver who's on the run from a possessed woman, 
uh, and he's given this confession in a police station. Somehow, just like this is passing on the danger to everyone else. Apparently, it's supposed to be really incredible visually as well. Uh, it's okay. it's compared to uh, the work of Panos Cosmatos, who did who did Mandy. Mm, oh, oh, Mandy was visually very striking. Maybe my favorite movie of the past five years. Very possibly. I love that movie so much. Pretty good. Uh, and the last one added is Scorchy, uh, which is Connie Stevens as a undercover cop or maybe undercover FBI agent who's uh, trying to stop a drug smuggling ring. And it looks pretty corny, but it does have William Smith, R.I.P., uh, who, who just died this past week. Uh, oh. And presumably is a villain because that's usually what he played. <laughs> but he is a pretty cool uh, classic exploitation dude. Oh, William, William Smith. Smith, not Will Smith. No, <laughs> you, you like, would have heard about that. How did I? Yeah, I would. I was going to say, like, how did Will Smith die without me hearing about it? <laughs> yeah, William Smith, a, a classic exploitation dude. Uh, you would definitely recognize him because he's in tons and tons of things. Uh, but, you know, it's it's one of those names that it's it's easy to not put a face to it until you've seen right. him in like a million things like I have because I watch all these exploitation movies all the time. <laughs> all right, so we've got uh, two things to decide on. I forgot to pause in the middle to uh, determine the, the secondary one, unless it is uh, already specifically, uh, what was it? Uh, the Giant, giant Claw. claw. Uh, that's that's, that's, that's going to be the that's, secondary one, yeah? That's going to be the secondary Alrighty. one. Alrighty. I've... Yeah, because nothing. Yeah, now I'm interested in this Luz movie. All right. I'm going to do that one for our main feature for next week. Yes. All right, cool. Yeah, that, that looks pretty, pretty rad. Uh, so, yeah, any last thoughts on our uh, several films tonight or, or anything general to add before we close? Not yet <laughs> um i'm I'm gonna be i'm not i don't have it up yet uh but i'm going to actually be uh starting up my video game blog again oh, cool. that i did way way back in the day which nobody who's listening to this will have heard of it <laughs> but uh yeah i'm starting that up i call it unless this is already taken i gotta find out i'm calling it baby got backlog hmm, okay Good, uh, where good. I basically, yeah, that that's it. Um, I would promote that, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> like the Twitter I promoted in the first episode, that still doesn't exist. That's all right. Hey, we're 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 only now uh, gonna start putting the episodes up, so we'll we'll see True how enough. it rolls. All right. Well. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, anyone who's out there listening, uh, and uh, keep watching the stacks. <laughs>